going on, everybody? It's yours truly, Connor A.K. Ho! K.F.A.B. here. Welcome, guys, to another installment of Wrestling Retrospective, a place where myself and my good friend Jake DeMarco go deep diving into the lore, into the history, and into the careers of some of your favorite professional wrestlers. This one has been a doozy. I've been looking forward to doing this particular one for quite a while. It is a part two of do for The Undertaker, as we've already done part one earlier on. This is episode number five. Uh, part one was a huge success, and I can't wait to talk about part two. This part, we're going to be talking about Undertaker's career going from the American Badass, the inception of the American Badass Undertaker up until present time. So we got a lot of stuff to dive into. But of course, we always love to hear your thoughts and suggestions on everything. But before we even get into that, I have to introduce my brother from another mother, the Silent Bob to my J, Mr. Jake DeMarco. Jake, how are you doing tonight? Snoochie boochies. That's yes. right, baby. I am here. We're back and we're ready to rumble. Heading into WrestleMania season. <laughs> Possibly to not feature The Undertaker. <laughs> what a better time to discuss The Undertaker. Got to finish up here. We we left off on quite the cliffhanger. So I'm I've been dying to get back into it. And as you said, we got a ton of great feedback this time as well. So many people reached out and said that they really, really enjoyed the latest episode. I mean, obviously, they love the others, but this has been their favorite thus far. Yeah, it's it's actually astounding, and I want to take this time to obviously thank each and every one of you guys who listens to it, whether it's on YouTube, uh, we have it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all the major podcasting platforms. You guys can, of course, check it out there. But I did want to take the time to read some of your comments because you guys really uh, went nuts over this one. This one was a very... Uh, obviously popular choice. As I mentioned before, Undertaker is my favorite wrestler of all time. And, uh, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about how like popular this was going to be. And, uh, we didn't realize how an overwhelming response this was going to be though, from all the other, uh, all the other listeners. I've got just a few here. I want to give some shout outs to like Travis TLC on YouTube. Goat machine says it was his favorite wrestler of all time. And then he, he still cries to this day when he sees the entrance and just, um, going through all the different memories. Gary Monaghan also was talking about, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the reminiscing of Taker's career, casual German, so many different people. I know Jake, you also got some, uh, some compliments as well. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, we, we spoke to quite a few people and everyone just thoroughly enjoyed it. I I've been very happy and pleased with the reception. As you had said before, you know, I spoke to Vintage Dream, and she said that the retrospective human counter team is amazing. Gorilla Strong's been extremely supportive, and, and many, many others. So I just want to say thank you to everybody for being so badass and so very supportive. And, of course, you guys want in early on these. We do do these a month in advance. So if you guys want to uh, get in on them before everybody else, before it's released to the public, we I do post it over on my Patreon, patreon.com slash okfabe. You guys can join for as little, just as little as $5 a month, and you actually get this out a month early. So you get them a month before everybody else. Um, so if you guys want in on that, go check that out. And I actually want to give some a uh, couple of, you know, somewhat of announcements here uh, because it's just been it's just been a whirlwind. I, I, I was really just blown away, honestly by the support of the first episode of the undertaker one but i don't want to spend too much time either um the first and foremost we actually are working i am working on a wrestling retrospective t-shirt that is in the works once the, the merchandise thing gets all revamped so if you guys want to support the channel or support the show that way that'll be up to uh the next couple of episodes we have kind of penciled out generally speaking so this is episode five episode six will be shane helms the hurricane himself we're going to chronicle not just his career in wcw not just in wb but also his 
kind of strew through uh, TNA and some of the independents as well. So I can't wait to talk about that. Episode 7 is actually going to be a poll. Myself and Jake will probably post a poll, both on our respective social medias, where you guys will have a choice to vote from one of four on the next one for the next major wrestling retrospective, which uh, we're already tossing some names around. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, it gives you guys a, a lot of control as far as what the next major one is, which I cannot wait to see. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to dive into that as well. But again, for those of you that are patrons, you can go ahead and take part of that poll at patreon.com slash okfabe. For those of you that are listening on YouTube or any of the other podcasting sites, we have a goal up on uh, Connor's Patreon here that if he hits 50 patrons, we'll actually increase the number of wrestling retrospective episodes to two a month. So uh, we're hoping to double the amount of patrons here and go ahead and hit that goal so we can bring you more content on a regular basis. Yeah, I kind of put a, Jake, a gun to Jake's head and told him we wanted to do two a month because it was just, <laughs> I was actually, it was more just, again, um, you know, the, I've said this before and it's not just because Jake's here with me, but like out of all the stuff that I produce on YouTube uh, and produce in general, this is probably one of my favorite things to do. And it's really uh, huge for me to get like a lot of positive responses over like the, tireless amount of 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 research that we've been doing to put into this especially the undertaker one and so uh if you guys Absolutely. like if you if you guys like it that much and you guys want to see it get to two a month which me and jake are willing to do uh help help us reach that patreon goal of uh, 50 patrons we're at 24 so we're almost halfway there and uh that'd be huge so i appreciate all the all the love and support on that but jake I, I do want to touch on one more thing as well. I mean, you have yeah. a ton of, you know, extra content besides the, you know, wrestling retrospective that we've been doing together. You obviously have the OK Fabe show, the random wrestling podcast that you do live on Saturdays, which and you take a lot of the feedback from patrons live on patreon.com slash OK Fabe. But you also have your retro reviews that I thoroughly enjoy. You just actually posted a review of WrestleMania 17. So. I'm dying yeah. to go ahead and check that out myself. I've yet to hear it because you just put that up today, I believe. So, Yeah, as of this recording, I just posted that one. And I'm actually going to be doing another one, hopefully around WrestleMania time for WrestleMania 20, uh, which I think is a very underrated one. But we'll be talking about, actually, WrestleMania 17. It's funny going back and watching that one. I don't want to spoil too much, but, man, it just it holds up so well. But, uh, yes, thank you for that, that awesome plug, Jake. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the uh, No Way Out 2003 review that you had done. I That, that was such a great pay-per-view, and uh, it's often overlooked, so it's nice to go back and just have those uh, nostalgic moments. I was so mad at that um, that particular pay-per-view because, as I said in the review, I went to the Royal Rumble 2003, and then literally the next month, Stone Cold, The Rock, and Hogan come back. I'm like, come on. Yeah, it was just one by one gypped. by one. <laughs> I got gypped, man. But anyway, uh, so again, guys, let's let's uh, let's let's get right into this. Now, before we get this again, for those of you who didn't catch this, this is part two of a two-parter of the entire career of The Undertaker. So if you guys haven't heard part one, definitely recommend checking it out. Again, it's on iTunes, all the major podcasting platforms, YouTube as well, youtube.com slash okfaber, where we basically go through all of Undertaker's career up until this new starting point which is going to be right now we're going to be talking about his return as the American badass. So we're going to start off in May of 2000. And to kind of go back a little bit here and kind of recap what happened, um, the last time that we saw Undertaker was around 1999 at this point in time. Um, we saw that he was getting... Um, he was kind of getting a little bit banged up. He was getting a little hurt. Um, but we did have him... Uh, 
kind of looked like he was going to come back for some action. He took some some hiatus because he had a, 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 a horrible groin injury. The guy can't get a break. And he actually made his return to action December 14th in a house show. And he was actually advertised for that Armageddon pay-per-view return, but then tore his pectoral muscles so that he was out for a little bit longer. I mean, good God. And his, you know, egress was very bizarre as well. It felt real. Um, it broke the typical allure that was surrounding his, you know, the mystique that was surrounding his character. He went ahead and he was backstage and Vince wanted to go have him go ahead and compete that night. And he outright refused, said he wasn't doing this and he left and that was it. And, you know, usually when you see those type of storylines play out and especially not knowing that he was injured at that point in time myself, it was shocking because we watched him walk out and I'm like, Oh wow, this will lead into whatever happens next week. And meanwhile, you know, the corporate ministry is, is, is dying out and, uh, you know, Triple H is, is really rising to power. And, you know, The Undertaker goes here and he refuses to have a casket match against Triple H. And, you know, he's going to be removed from the main event of Unforgiven. And McMahon is threatening him. And Taker says, I, I do not care and I won't be participating in anything. And he walks out. And, you know, obviously we know now that he was just badly injured, needed time off to recover and heal from surgery. But, you know, like I said, weeks go by and I'm like, he's not coming back. Maybe he did quit. Hopefully he's not, you know, <laughs> joining WCW. All these thoughts cross your mind because we're still still engrossed in the Monday Night Wars at this point. So, yeah, but at this point, I mean, they're they're kicking their ass. I mean, at this they point, are we're kicking their ass, but but we're we're still, you know, feeling the effects. True, um, and it's actually funny if you guys go back and listen to. Uh, there's actually a network special when they they were celebrating like 25 years of Undertaker. They had like I think JBL, Sean, and Triple H, and it's interesting because um, they mentioned how like JBL's like if Taker jumped over to WCW, we were screwed, and rightfully yes, so. They, they had said that out now. If they if they lost him, they feel like they would have lost the locker room. Which you know is very, very yeah. That's that's a pretty. And fair it's statement. so true because you hear all the stories about him running wrestlers' court, uh, which was used backstage to settle disputes among the talent. He was the one in charge. He was kind of judge, jury, and executioner for those things, and he would make stars that did, you know, something negative have to pay reparations not only towards the person that was <laughs> the victim in that <laughs> circumstance, but to the Undertaker as well. You know, you hear infamously people like the Hardys or Edge and Christian having to buy beer for, you know, the APA and the Undertaker just to smooth things over. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of funny road stories, but that's why I'm so intrigued to, you know, have the possibility of Undertaker having a podcast. I, I, I would love to hear some of the stories he has to tell. Now, if I, I, my favorite wrestler's court story is Edge and Christian got into some sort of trouble. I can't remember what it was, but they realized that, you know, Taker likes Jack Daniels and he likes Harleys, obviously. And they actually bought him like I think like a bottle of Jack and like a coffee table book of like Harley motorcycles. And he just like like we like to submit this into evidence. And he's like, I don't see a blemish on your record, gentlemen. Like it just like, <laughs> I, I, I thought I it was no problem here. Thank yeah, you. I love that one. But um, it's interesting, you know, looking back and, and kind of you know this being the cutoff point and just kind of how it works out um, as far as like separating these two parters. You know, before we were talking about and building up Taker and how he was kind of transforming in a lot of ways from the um, the original dead man gimmick 
of coming out with like the the more t you know Paul Bear the whole and kind of morphing slowly but surely into a more human form. And it's kind of funny how we get into like the, the Ministry of Darkness and he's becoming more of a human character. And then we get to May of two thousand where he actually. Uh, kind of completes that whole transformation, becomes the most, you could arguably say, the most human he's ever been at this point in time. Absolutely. But even before then, you know, he started to bring out more of the Mark Calloway motorcycle, you know, personality that he had deep within. And a lot of that stemmed from him being injured. So he was essentially forced out of action. And therefore, he was, you know, relying on promo and mic work and in turn became more of like a wise-ass smart aleck, making a lot of remarks and performing commentary in the ring and uh, actually in the commentary booth as well. So it was at this point in time that he was uh, having a, a pretty solid run with the big show who had joined the company <laughs> not long before. And wisely enough, he was a mentor to the big show, teaching him the ways of, you know, wrestling essentially. And he, you know, was smart about it in, in, the land of kayfabe we knew now that he was injured but then he had said that he was making big show do all the work and all the busy work for him and that was right. kind of like his trials to to survive through so anytime there was a tag match you know and he was too injured to wrestle he would go ahead and have the he would stand out of the ring go join commentary and have the big show take on both men at the same time basically in a handicap match which is pretty smart for a bunch of different reasons, obviously, like you just mentioned. I think Big Show even mentioned, like he said, he would have, he could do a match and then Taker would be backstage. And he has that one crooked finger, pointer finger, and just like, come over here, big man. Like, ah, just, it, yeah, yeah he, creeps me out. I mean, and, and a lot of people still go back where we got that somewhat shoot promo from The Undertaker here, where he talks about how he transformed Big Show into a man by leaving him out in the desert after his, you know, they both rode out into the desert and <laughs> he left him there. And the Big Show comes back out wearing snakeskin boots and carrying the motorcycle over his shoulder. And it was very bizarre and out of character for The Undertaker. But <laughs> when you, you think about it. a vision quest or something? What the hell? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, a little uh, ayahuasca and peyote goes a long way, but it, it did sound like you know wow he's out there but this was the first mention of him the motorcycles so taking it all into consideration and you know in hindsight this would lead to his you know dropping of the funeral <laughs> procession in favor of a harley davidson although it really wasn't a total drop either i remember they were doing like they were doing promo stuff in ton of vignettes, and this is back when vignettes were so awesome. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more because they do have vignettes with Taker's returns multiple times um, that I can remember off the top of my head, even like, you know, a decade beyond this. And I remember how they just had like the three little girls playing in like the background and doing the whole Judgment Day is upon us, and nobody really could put two and two together that the name of the goddamn pay-per-view is Judgment Day coming up in May. Um, but nobody really knew what that was for. They didn't really know what it was about. They just kept saying, like, he's here. He's Oh, he's coming. That was the big thing. He's coming, blah, blah, blah. And we he's didn't really coming. know what... Yeah, <laughs> that could mean so many things. Um, but we didn't really know what it was. And then... So to have... I mean... Man, what a chaotic return. I went back and watched it. It really was. Talk about how overbooked this was. But here in time, we have the McMahon-Helmsley faction. So... All the McMahons essentially at this point in time are working with Triple H and, you know, there's part of DX in there. It's a mess. There's a, there's a lot of things at play. 
And then you have, you know, the people's champ, The Rock, doing all he can to take them down. And he's he's basically working by his lonesome. He does have some people teaming with him to try and help every now and again, but no one's able to really overcome that McMahon-Helmsley faction. So we get to Judgment Day, and we have an Iron Man match, 60-minute Iron Man match between Triple H and The Rock. And I believe at the at this point in time, things are all tied up. And yes. we, we, you know, we see the three girls on the Titan Tron. The music kind of starts to hit. And all of a sudden, as chaos is erupting in the ring and the rock is being assaulted, we hear come over the arena. He's here. As the little girls say, you know, the Freddy Krueger <laughs> jump rope skipping singing girls. And out comes donned in leather, the American badass. I'll let you take it from there. It's it was I had to go back and watch this because it's one of my favorite things, honestly, like, you know, watching like returns and big moments. Good God, it was a pop on top of a pop. Like it was in, it was insane watching the crowd reaction because the crowd was already going berserk because at this point, the Iron Man match has completely been broken down. Rock is fighting off all these different members of the McMahon Helmsley faction. You got X-Pac, you got Road Dogg, you got Billy Gunn, you got Vince, you got Shane, you got Hunter. You got so many people in there. And I think, and I'm trying to remember this the right way, the Iron Man match wasn't quite done yet. It was still, the clock no, was, was still going. Yes, the clock was still going. I think there was five minutes left at this point in time. Yeah, and then so while these last five minutes of this match is going on, it's just so funny of just how effing nuts it was. Um, you have the music. People are going crazy. JR's yelling at the top of his lungs because he doesn't know what the hell's going on either. And then as soon as you hear, like, the I'm American badass and you just hear the roar of the of the – of the motorcycle, it wasn't like he paused at the top of the ramp and like you know you know placated to the crowd. He literally just came you know down, blazing down in the motorcycle, came right down and just started taking out anything with a heartbeat. It was just nuts. The crowd, I think, I've never legitimately heard a crowd cheering for someone or something in that long stretch of like five minutes as I've heard anything else probably in pro wrestling, like the oh, longest absolutely. pop I've ever heard. And the thing was, you know, there was so much high impact action. Like it, it was breathtaking and and edge of your seat, you know. <laughs> it's just, an ADHD wet dream. That's it is. I mean, when you look at the falls, it's 5-5 five, five at this point. And just before that, you know, we The Rock gets a pedigree put on him on the announce table by Triple H. This is following Triple H being disqualified for attacking The Rock with a steel chair. So that's when they tied up 3-3. Three, three. You know, Triple H pins The Rock with the ropes for leverage, cheating. So that's 4-3. Then The Rock passed out to a sleeper hold by Triple H, <laughs> meaning 5-3. So now The Rock's unconscious, and he's it's being so attacked crazy. by people on the outside. And he gets put through, you know, uh, with a uh, – he counted out after The Rock performed a pedigree on the announce table on Triple H. So now The Rock does the pedigree. It's like, holy hell. He puts Triple H through the table, reversing it, and Triple H gets counted out. So now it's 5-4. Triple H gets back in the ring. The <laughs> clock is ticking down. The Rock performs a people's elbow. The score is tied. It's 5-5. Road Dog jumps in. X-Pac interferes. And they're beating the holy hell out of The Rock. The Rock is, you know, blown apart at this point in time. The McMahon, you know, Helmsley regime is in full effect. The referee is just out of it at this point in time. And then we go ahead and... Like you said, the Undertaker comes out. People don't know what to make of it at first because you do hear the gong, but you know you get the he's here and the new music. That and out he comes and he just you know 
tears everybody apart, choke slams for days. He, you know, takes down Road Dog first, then X Pac, then Shane, then Vince, and then he attacks Triple H with a choke slam. Then he hits him with a tombstone pile driver, and then the time limit expires. And then The Rock was disqualified for The Undertaker's interference. So Triple H won. It was 6 5, and Triple H wins the title. I was heartbroken. I was so excited that The Undertaker was back. And I'm like, I can't believe Triple H won. You know, it was just, oh, what an amazing moment. I'm actually legitimately just pulled up the clip on YouTube, so I'm watching this as we're talking about it. Shane hits Rock with a steel chair, so literally, like, the like the music's still going on, but they're not stopping, which is pretty smart of them. Like, usually you see the heels, like, cower in fear, like, yeah, what's they going stand on? There. They just ignored it entirely. Which I thought was genius, to be honest with you. Then Taker r- runs down like a bat out of hell. Triple H pedigrees Rock. Taker just throws a Triple H out. He choke slams Shane. By the way, that height on Shane is nuts. Um, he does the same to X-Pac. I remember that he, like, goes after Stephanie, then Triple H stops him, and then I remember Vince also gets in there, too, which is I thought was funny as hell because, like, Vince, like, tries to run away, but yeah. he does this weird, like, scurry thing, and then he like, it's just really funny crap. But, man, I mean, good God, what a return. Um, just oh, nuts. One of my just... favorites of all time. And then to, to see, you know, the Undertaker standing there hearing that he got disqualified and The Rock just looking at him like, how could you? It, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Goosebumps still just, just, just even thinking about it, not even watching it. And this obviously explodes the feud now because The Rock's going to continue feuding with Triple H. But now he's also got to contend with The Undertaker and Kane by association. So this right. is building towards the six-man tag match at King of the Ring the next following month. So we have The Rock, The Undertaker, and Kane against Triple H, Vince, and Shane McMahon. And if any member of Triple H's team was pinned, whoever scored the fall would be the WWF champion. So, of course, The Rock, The Undertaker, and Kane, as much as they have a common interest here to work together to take down the McMahon-Helmsley regime, they each want to be champion. And that unity would only last so long. That's an interesting, weird scenario because it's like, yeah, like, how do you... Ugh, that's a weird one. I mean, that's not the first time they've done that where they've had, like, a tag team match for a singles title. And as we'll talk about probably in another, what, year or two from this timeline, it won't be the last. Um, it, it's definitely a weird... But I actually like it because it's like, okay, well, Rock's pissed a taker. Kane's still got some baggage from Mania. So it's like, you know, who... who yeah. yeah, it's interest, interesting little... Uh, I like that little twist about that. Like, little little stipulations like that, I think, are genius. They can go a long way. Yes, and it was very unique. You know, we had not seen something like that really to that extent at that point in time, meaning that the champion didn't have to be pinned to lose the title by other participants, you know, in the tag format. We've never seen a solo belt defended in a six-man tag. So it it was a very unique situation. And The Rock ends up winning the match uh, because he pins Vince McMahon. So... (laughs) Imagine that. You pin your boss and you become a champion. That's fantastic. Exactly. Um, and, and he's got pants on, so thank God for that. But uh, Taker would kind of go on to team with Kane for a while, which is interesting. And for the first time ever, uh, they actually um, – oh, I'm sorry, not yet. They were they were challenging Edge and Christian for the tag team title. So they booked in and contended for them uh, for a, a little while. But unfortunately, sibling rivalry, as we will definitely be going into extreme depth and detail in this episode – 
doesn't does seem to, to overpower everything as Kane betrayed Undertaker um, by hitting him in with a choke slam not once but twice uh, with the second one putting Taker through the ring that was on an August 14th episode of Raw so they teamed for a while after this whole um, McMahon Helmsley faction rivalry tried to go after the titles for Edge and Christian but Kane decided screw you I still have some emotional baggage left over and ultimately this would go into their match at SummerSlam which I remember this pay-per-view because fun fact Jake this was the very first pay-per-view I ever watched the very first wrestling oh, really? pay-per-view yeah SummerSlam 2000 wow. was the very first and at obviously remembering it from when I was 13 this is awesome watching their <laughs> match at SummerSlam but going back and watching I'm like this is stupid yeah, no, I, when you go back, you're you're frustrated. It's not the build, it's the finish. Because yeah, it, the, it, And this is the problem, too, that a lot of people look so, you know, back in rose-tinted glasses at this era, but there were a lot of, as I call them, fucky finishes, you know, a lot of finicky endings and a lot of dusty finishes where, you know, the, the belt was either hot potatoed or a lot of things just didn't add up. But they did it to keep people coming back. Everything had to be a cliffhanger. Right. I mean, I get it. I get this because in some ways, but I mean, the mask. Like, I, I get having a no contest with Kane. There, that you need to make Kane look strong and and be a, a long term rival for Taker. Fine, I get that. But like, I don't know. It just it seems like it was just like the wrong decisions at the like all compiled at one time. Yeah, and I mean the build was okay too because I mean you have. Kane interfering between Undertaker and Chris Benoit. He under, he choke slams the Undertaker, and following the interference, he rides out of the arena with Undertaker's motorcycle, and this you know that sets the feud off. And this is the second main feud that had you know heading into SummerSlam, and then the feud intensifies even more. Kane attacks the Undertaker with a steel chair, causing the Undertaker to bleed like you would not believe. Really busted him open. And, you know, then we saw on Sunday Night Heat, it was made official The Undertaker would face Kane at SummerSlam, so. Yeah, just the, the idea of, again, the whole thing of uh, taking his mask off and he runs off and that's how the match ends, just like, ugh. Yeah, it really just, it didn't feel like a proper finish. There was, there was no justified conclusion. Now, one thing I will say, and, I, and we're going to talk about this because the next rivalry, the next major rivalry he'll have um, he will come out um, losing. In fact, most of the stuff that we see in the next couple of months, Taker comes out of the short end of the stick, which to me is something I just wanted to kind of briefly touch on because uh, it's interesting now that Taker is the you know the human persona, the American badass. He can kind of get away with these losses now, and it doesn't really like hurt his credibility. He's been around for you know a decade, almost you know, practically a decade at this point, and has that reputation to be able to say like you know. Uh, that he can take the losses with dignity, which I thought was a genius move. Uh, when it yeah, comes because to, like, he, he still looks good in defeat there. That's a great point. But also, he was able to do things at the time that were kind of heelish and get away with it because it fits so well with the badass persona. It was correct. the you know, persona non grata, uh, wrapped up with Austin's DTA, don't trust anyone. You know, he, he, even his own brother and him couldn't get along. And then on top of the fact of, you know, he could be a heel and still be cheered. And then still be a face leaving the end of the night. So right. it was and very, it, very interesting. And it was it was very unique. You know, he could do the low blows in the match. He could attack the referee. He could use weapons. And he could do no wrong. Well, I can't wait to talk about his heel run in a minute. But yes, yes, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, but his next, like I said, his next major challenge actually came with Kurt Angle. Challenging him for the WF title Survivor Series. 
Man, I love this. I it is, and this, if you love Kurt Angle, and if you love like the cheesy hokey heel angle from like the with his first run, you will love this build. And as as did I, because Angle is just, man, I miss old Angle. Like I miss like the whole like he's so corny, he's so like just vanilla, he's so um. Ah, oh, it's it's so like he's so hokey. It's so fantastic. Yeah, the the all American dream milk and cookies. <laughs> you know, he he really had that just imprinted into his soul. As you said, it was very cringeworthy at the time, but it worked. That corniness just made him the perfect heel. It's like you're it's like you're watching like the it little was irritating. It's like the little brother fighting the big brother, and the big brother's the cool badass, and the little brother's like, I can be just like you. And it was just, oh, man. But I also have to applaud because this matchup, not only was really interesting not to just only see the different styles in the two of them between Angle and, and Taker, which, spoiler, will not be the last time we talk about these two fighting either, but also the finish where Taker lost to Angle because of the switcheroo with Angle's <laughs> real-life brother. Magic. Eric Angle, which again won't be the last time we see Eric either. Yeah, and as Eric's been in the news lately, anyways, for yeah. <laughs> some less than stellar things recently. But... Yeah, we'll, and we'll sadly, you know, we, we missed one thing actually before that. We, uh, you know, we started to see Benoit really come about at this time too. I know that's a, a bit of a sore subject for some people, but it, he really did have quite the impact at this time going into the main event scene. And right after SummerSlam, you know, before we get to the Angle feud, we see the, you know, obviously the Kane Undertaker feud is continuing, but The Rock and Chris Benoit are still facing each other. And it became a lot of, you know, four-way interaction between these men. Um, the Undertaker would interfere in a championship match between Kane and The Rock, and The Rock would win. So then him and Kane would continue to feud, which led to The Undertaker and The Rock feuding, you know, and, and you saw a lot of people going through announced tables and whatnot. And the feud between Kane, Benoit, The Undertaker, and The Rock officially kicked off on Raw as they were heading into Unforgiven. And we saw the uh, Commissioner Foley at that time. He was, you know, the man in charge at that point, made the Fatal 4 match to take place at Unforgiven for the WWF Championship. And unfortunately for The Undertaker, The Rock retained after he performed a rock bottom on Benoit and got the three count. So... From there, the Undertaker would, you know, kind of, kind of bounce around between a few more matches with his brother, and then we would see him obviously feud with Kurt Angle. I completely and forgot about that, that stuff. That's yeah. one of the highlights too. That is that is one of the big highlights with him and Kurt because they were such polar opposites that it really highlighted and showcased not only their in ring abilities and you know their their technical prowess, but it really, you know, allowed them each to elevate one another in all aspects. Their promos got better. Their their in-ring work was stellar. Every Everything about them working together just became a, a wrestling fan's dream. I did go back and watch this one, too, when we were actually prepping for the... I actually... I When we were prepping for part one, and then we went for part two, I was kind of looking ahead at some matches that I hadn't either remembered or hadn't seen, and I, I checked out the Angle one, and... Um, this one was fun, but man, I it, we'll talk about this, and I don't want to spoil it, obviously, but the 2006 match they had, holy crap, Baskets. Can't wait to talk about that one. Yeah, but yes, that, I the mean, exact they reasons. only got better with time. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
But moving ahead, because we have literally 18 years to get through in this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, this this is a lot of what people focused on with the attitude error. That's why I wanted to go over this with a little bit more of a fine tooth comb. You know, this is what people were, were really uh, having stand out in their memories. But right here is is really one of the most memorable matches, I think, of the year for 2000. And not always for the best reasons, because it wasn't the greatest match. But I think just because of all the star power included, it, it was just next level insanity. And the stunts that were pulled off here, uh, you know, rival some of the, some of the best things we've seen. So uh, the central feud heading into Armageddon, obviously, was champion Kurt Angle taking on The Undertaker, Triple H, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Rikishi. And all six men are going to meet in a friggin' hell in a cell for the WWF championship. So obviously, no mercy. Kurt Angle wins the championship from The Rock in a no-DQ match. Then he retains against The Undertaker by uh, using his brother to do some twin magic. He retains again at Rebellion in a fatal four-way match against The Rock, Rikishi, and Stone Cold. So Kurt Angle's on a, a real high right now. So on SmackDown, after the Rebellion pay-per-view overseas, that was in the UK, mm -hmm. Commissioner Foley announces that Kurt Angle will defend his title, not against one man, not against two, but six, you know, five total, in a hell in a cell. And now Vince McMahon in the storyline would desperately try to get all of them to back out and say how dangerous it is and he doesn't want to lose his talent, and <laughs> but he fails to do so. Now, there's so many storylines going on at this point in time because this is when... Obviously, Stone Cold is is really returning from injury, and he welcome thinks, back. You're in a six man hell in a hell in a cell match, and he feels that you know from what we found out, Rikishi is the one that ran him over at Survivor Series the previous year and took him out of action for all those times, and then we hear that Rikishi says he did it for the Rock, <laughs> as we recall. So there were so many storylines going on at this point in time. We had The Undertaker, who's feuding with Kurt Angle. Uh, the Rock is still, you know, kind of in that scene as well. But now The Rock's wrapped up because he's pissed off at Rikishi for doing this to him. Even though we all kind of know that, hey, it was really Triple H that did this. He's, you know, Rikishi's just kind of the scapegoat. Right. And now you've got a pissed off, angry rattlesnake coming back for revenge. And, and anyone that's in his way is getting torn down. So <laughs> the match starts and Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe and Vince work together to try and stop the match by attempting to demolish the cell with that truck that they had. And they tore down the cell door when Mick Foley ordered the trio to allow the match to run its course. They ignored Foley and commission, you know, and fully sent the police to escort McMahon out of the arena. <laughs> and it was just like such chaos to see the cops escorting these three out and, as a result of the door being torn off, everyone in the match exited the cell and started to climb to the top of the structure. And you're like, oh, my God, not again. We've seen this. Foley now, almost died last time. Now, mind you, at this point in time, right? Let's see. I'm just trying to remember the timeline here. We've only had the other two Hell in the Cells, right? Uh, yeah. I don't recall any other besides the, the two that we had with Foley and then Shawn Michaels, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> Both involving. Undertaker because we didn't have yeah we, we didn't have um Foley and Triple H yet I don't believe was that 2001 no, that was 2000. I don't think it was 2000 no 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 you're right that was 2000 I'm sorry so I'm sorry that was 2000. okay so we did have that okay yes. so we did have that so we had one more we had it between and that was uh 
the career right the quote unquote you can't see me doing air quotes career ending <laughs> yes that's how he became commissioner foley in the long run so but yeah that was between triple h and mick foley uh cactus jack if you really want to go down that you know we'll have to get to that at some point in a wrestling retrospective i was supposed to be there and unfortunately it wasn't able to attend but damn so heartbroken by that i cried for days so now Rikishi's on the roof as well. All the superstars are up there, and Rikishi is fighting off both Angle and The Undertaker. Undertaker, you know, knocks Angle down, grabs Rikishi by the throat, and choke slams him, kind of more pushes him, but choke slams him off the cell into the back of the truck bed that's filled with, like, pine chips and some type of crash pad. But you see this thong-wearing 500-pound Samoan basically get launched backwards off the top of the hell in a cell into the back of this, you know, work truck. It was insane. And they just, had to do it. And they had to do it from the ass angle too. Oh, absolutely. You had to go <laughs> dimples first and just see that in slow-mo <laughs> all the way down. Oh man. So now while that's going on and he's getting thrown off the top, you have Austin and rock having a stare down inside the cell. The crowd is cannot breathe at this point. I mean, you, you've got, the, the WrestleMania rematch happening in the ring while the Undertaker's, you know, recreating his magical spot with Rikishi instead of Foley up top. The Rock gets a spine buster on Austin. He gets clotheslined by Triple H before he can get the people's elbow. And, you know, Triple H gets nailed by a rock bottom. And then, uh, you know, the, the rock, rock bottom's angle. Stone Cold recovers in time to stop the count. He gets a stunner on the Rock. Triple H breaks up the pin and gets a neck breaker from Austin and angle snuck up on top of the rock and pins him to retain only to get a stunner by Austin, right? As you know, poor undertaker didn't have enough time to recover and, and get Pretty his genius. shot with the title. So Kurt angle retains. He, even though he, he did it through, you know, that chicken shit heel tactic, he looks like a million bucks because he just conquered every big name in the business. As far as WWF goes, I mean, well, those other- were you know, five of the biggest names at that point in time. The interesting thing with the whole, I mean, you, you kind of, I can't really add much to what you just described in the chaos. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, it was insane. And just think about this because with the exception of maybe an elimination chamber nowadays, right? You don't see that kind of thing anymore. Hell in the cell matches. We never, you know, we only saw one-on-one. Eventually we get down to, uh, you know, in the future we see triple threats. Um, but I mean, to not only have, six men in a hell in a cell match but to have six of pretty much your top guys um you know no brand split obviously it's all your top six guys you know austin and rock are obviously the hottest in the business taker's got the rep angle is the um the new kid on the block so to speak triple h is the biggest heel rikishi's like the second biggest heel by association because of the whole revelation of the austin thing so i mean you you can't put any more star i I'm afraid to know what the rest of the Armageddon card was like if you're going to put that much star power into one match. But it's also, you know, as much as the whole um, push choke slam, the push slam of Rikishi from the roof of the cell through, like, the, the, the sawdust thing, it was kind of badass to see that happen and see Taker do, like, the whole, like, demonic look as he's, like, you know, after the fact. But at the same time, it's almost damn near impossible, as we talked about in the last episode, to top tossing mankind off of the top of the hell in a cell so it's it's bittersweet but i mean you know again hard to top that <laughs> yeah i mean certainly isn't going to be <laughs> at the same level 
but was one hell of a spot to witness on the pay-per-view. So following all this pure chaos, uh, Triple H tries to take the title from Kurt Angle at the Royal Rumble. He fails, and now Triple H begins to feud with our American badass, The Undertaker. And, you know, this is right as Angle's feud with Triple H starts to wane. So they, they go right back on an upswing. And The Undertaker gets a restraining order placed against him after attacking Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. But The Undertaker, being the genius that he is, finds a loophole in the restraining order. I and he this. assigns his half-brother, Kane, to stalk Stephanie. So now him and Kane are working together once again. So now we have a new commissioner, William Regal. He refused to grant uh, a match to Triple H at WrestleMania, and an event had never lost that. So he threatened to have Kane throw Stephanie over the balcony above them, and this is what gets them into the <laughs> WrestleMania match. I love. So while this feud is going on, we have the resurrection of the Brothers of Destruction, which is before WrestleMania. Right, and we have them kind of teaming up. I believe they face Edge and Christian um for the tag team titles and then again the Dudleys and still going for the tag team championships randomly but no success there but I just remember kind of touching base of the whole uh Taker Triple H angle um rivalry going into Mania my favorite part is there's a visual where like you said Kane could get a hold of Stephanie but Undertaker couldn't so there's a there's a scene it's very simple and very beautiful but very like it's got some of my favorite performers in there so literally you see Kane up up in the balcony up on the distance press slamming Stephanie like she has them like yes. ready for a body slam and take and, and and Regal is in the foreground so they're in the background Regal and Taker in the foreground Regal's like bring her down like and Taker's like I, I can't do that I goes I want to match with Triple H at Wrestlemania and then and Regal's like I can't do that and Taker's like that's okay Kane send Stephanie down no 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 don't 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 fight fight you have your match <laughs> just it's something very easy very simple um gets the point across but so loved it so evil and he's still the face here <laughs> see these are the kind of things i was hinting at before you know he's still being cheered but he's threatening to have his half brother murder a man's wife this would be Only a common the theme with this shit these things off yeah exactly you know a just, common theme with this stuff just murdering families left and right so oh, this man. leads into WrestleMania. We see The Undertaker destroy Triple H in their first meeting at Mania, and now his record is 9-0. and the, 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 You know, the, the, the streak is alive and well, but not really noticed at this point either. It's no, it won't be till next anything. year, I think they start to acknowledge it. Yeah, once they head to 10-0, that's, that's when it becomes more of a fundamental element of the undertaker and that's when they really begin to make it you know him being wrestlemania bound is a big deal now 2001 was a very weird year so we just got finished with triple h wrapping things up with uh i'm sorry undertaker wrapping up things with triple h but not really as we see that following wrestlemania 17 stone cold steve austin defeats the rock and austin turns heel and Triple H, being a very smart individual, decides to not be the top babyface, which I guess was originally the plan, was that when Austin turned heel, Triple H was supposed to turn babyface and kind of switch the roles and kind of run off of that. But Triple H said, uh-uh, I want to be a heel. So they ended up teaming together to form the two-man power trip as they kind of yeah. went on dominating. And they were running roughhouse on everybody at this point. 
Yep. So they were kind of running roughshod through everyone. Specifically, the Hardys were a big one. There's actually a scene where they were actually going to about to uh, do like a two on like double chair shot to to Lita, but ultimately get uh, saved by the returning brothers of destruction, thus setting up a somewhat I'd say about maybe a couple month feud where you have Undertaker and Kane against Triple H and Austin. Uh, this would ultimately yes. culminate to a match at Backlash. Where <laughs> ready for this? Not only are the WWF tag team titles on the line that Taker and, T- and Kane win in between against Edge and Christian, but also Austin's WWF championship and then Triple H, who had just won the Intercontinental title. So three it was pretty much on the every line. belt on the line in, in one match, you know, everything Crazy. that mattered. And I loved the build to this. This has one of my my favorite Undertaker moments that often I, I tend to forget, but every time I'm reminded about it, I can sit there and reminisce with a smile on my face because it's just so perfectly poetic. Connor, I, I, I die thinking about it every time. So Triple H and Austin are very nefarious at this point in time. True bastards. They're evil. They go ahead and they are messing with everybody in their way. And they're not just, you know, uh, beating them up they're they're breaking them and taking them out of action for good they're injuring a lot of superstars you know in kayfabe along the way so what they do here is they ended up attacking kane if you recall with a chain for a while and his arm is injured and oh, the undertaker yeah. is very irate he's beyond angry and he wants retaliation he wants revenge and retribution so bad he can taste it so he decides to uh, set a trap and he lures Austin <laughs> into the hallway of the arena on SmackDown and ends up uh, surprising Austin and throwing him through a plate glass window. And <laughs> oh, it was man. a so well executed spot. The way the window broke, the way Austin went through, you know, it rivals that of the barber shot with Janetti. You know, it, it was just so well done. The window shatters out. And you see Triple H and Mr. McMahon go, and they run over to Austin's side, and they put him on a stretcher. They show this clip over and over throughout the night, but Austin's selling it. I got glass in my eyes. I got glass in my eyes. You know, I so they go this really well. I love. They this. get him on the yeah. They get him on the stretcher. They they start to bring him to the hospital. You know, they get him in the ambulance. They load him up, and Austin's like, I can't see. I got glass in my eyes. And Triple H says. Vince, you stay here. I'm going to go with them to the hospital. So they get into the ambulance and they're like, come on, driver, go. I got glass in my eyes. And then you see the undertaker turn around. He's the driver of the ambulance. Where to, boys? (laughs) He comes running full steam out the back of the ambulance. Austin is is tied down to the stretcher. Can't move his arms or his (laughs) legs. So (laughs) the undertaker takes out poor triple h in in just a very deciding fashion you know hunter's laid out and he takes austin down and stands him up right so he's standing but he's still attached to the stretcher and he's punching him in the face and he's oh the glass in my eyes and he just he's beating the hell out of everybody he tips over the stretcher like just what a mess such a great memory such an uh, uh, amazing you know, revenge plot from these two with Kane luring them out in the ring to distract them. Like the whole setup for it was was just fantastic. I do remember that very well. And then the other one I actually wanted to, to kind of piggyback going back a little bit um, was uh, when Taker and Kane went to save Lita from being beat up by by uh, by Triple H in Austin. 
It was a great visual. The crowd goes absolutely oh. nuts. But the, there's two things I remember about it. One was Austin apparently still not used to being a heel. When he backs away, he just like holds his neck back really high. It's a very weird thing. I don't know why he does it. But JR's flipping out because he now understands like, oh, it's wait, Taker and Kane against Austin and Triple H. Oh, I like this. I like this a lot. And I don't know why yeah, yeah, that that. Right. That that um, audio cue, you know, Jay has got so many, but that particular one, go look up both of those, both the one Jake just mentioned and the one I mentioned. Great stuff. It, it, you definitely want to check it out. But Yeah, so, they showcase some of these in the vignette building up to Judgment Day. So if you want to just go to the network, you can look at Judgment Day 2001. You can see a lot of these, uh, you know, promos and, and spots. So at Backlash, so, we have uh, we actually Taker and Kane lose, so Triple H and Austin get the tag team titles. And then I believe Kane goes on to fight Triple H at Judgment Day, and Taker and Austin go at it at Judgment Day one-on-one -on -one for the championship. Yeah, and unfortunately, he fails to win at Judgment Day. Doesn't go well as planned. But then we roll into another fun little... You know, not a big deal, nothing too threatening, nothing too crazy, just a, something known as the... <sighs> the WCW ECW Invasion Alliance storyline. This could have been. I'm I'm pretty sure I mean, we could probably do an entire retrospective on just this. We really should on just the invasion. Actually, I don't. I don't that, want to now that I say it out loud. Yeah. I, I just I, I don't know if I want to revisit, <laughs> but but anyway, <laughs> I know it's it's like it's so painful yet, it's such an important piece of history. I mean the the invasion pay per view that they had itself was one of the highest bought pay per views of all time. Besides, it's the highest bought that isn't a WrestleMania. That's weird. Well, I mean there was a lot of hype going into it, but at least from fans perspective but in any case so obviously most of you probably know what happened WCW got bought out earlier in the year and so now w's uh wwf was starting to slowly integrate um members of the wcw and ecw's roster into the main storylines and so yeah, they, they had the simulcast and we saw that shane was the one that bought wcw from underneath his father so still crazy and, to think that was the go home go raw for wrestlemania i know wow crazy Freaking and nuts. Just such a shock. And on top of it, you know, Stephanie would go on to later be the head of ECW, which was ugh, that makes even sense. worse. But so the Undertaker has a new nemesis around and someone is stalking the Undertaker's wife, Sarah. We see week after week after week, Sarah's being followed her, you know, her hairbrush and things in her room are being messed with. She's being videotaped constantly. You see her swimming at home in the pool. Uh, you see this this masked fellow taking items from her hotel room and following her and the undertaker is just irate he's worried he he doesn't know how to handle this and he looks more human than he ever has before because you can sympathize with the dead man you know you're he's worried for his his love of his life he doesn't want to see his wife attacked and he gets fake phone calls and you know thinking that she's been injured and all of this to you know just mess with him and finally, after weeks and weeks of this build, we find out who the stalker is. Now, before we get to this, I just want to mention that up until this point, I love this. Out of all the invasion stuff that was going on, um, which, by the way, at this point was still in its infancy. So we haven't gotten to the invasion pay-per-view. In fact, 
I think this all happened at the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Uh, yes. Where, yeah, where the person revealed. So you have these these videos that are being played, like Jake just described. You don't know who it is, uh, but it ends up being Diamond Dallas Page. Okay. All right. Well, you know what? I liked it. I know a lot of people look at me funny with it, but the the promo that he gave when he took takes off the you know baklava and and you know the mask that he had and you see him in the middle of the ring and the crowd just what you know because it's so unexpected people are thinking it's Jake the Snake coming back people you know all these different thoughts and you get DDP but he makes perfect sense with the promo that he gave you want to make an impact how do you do it you take out the biggest dog in the yard well it's not that it was stuck it. with me it was a great justification it was really weird though. Mm. to have him be the, the the stalker but i get what they were going for at the time i really liked it now i'm a little less than sold but at the time i was all about it the only thing is that and this is i guess the really big disappointment part is that there really wasn't much of a payoff to this so you have to understand that no and that's the thing because you know ddp not only gets his ass kicked by the undertaker but even you know the undertaker's wife sarah gets to beat his ass too it just uh, you know in reality, you know, they're getting married while this feud is going on. And did they even have a match? Uh, they did have a match, but it was very, very brief. And on top of it, you know, like I said, Sarah gets, you know, to, to even kick DDP's ass at one point in time, too. So she goes <sighs> in the ring and lays him out as well. I mean, that, okay, I was kind of expecting that because the way they played up Sarah is like a badass as well. I, I figured that was coming. But I guess the reason DDP, and it's not because of him being a yoga instructor now, but it just, you know, looking back at his run in WCW, he didn't come across that way. But Jake, to your point, he did, the the, the promo did make sense. But like I said, the, the real concern was that it wasn't much of a payoff. Now, mind you, DDP revealed who he was and brawled with The Undertaker at the pay-per-view. Not a match, nothing else, but this was happening at the King of the Ring pay-per-view. They wouldn't go on to have a pay-per-view match with each other one-on-one at all so it was just a very yeah it was settled you know in between raw and smackdowns at this right and then which ultimately leads us to the invasion pay-per-view in july where he gets where we have ddp on team wcw or team alliance and then taker on actually it was the episode of raw he unveiled himself it was raw okay i I just went back and double checked at king of the ring he fought the undertaker in an unsanctioned brawl that was never announced as an official match Um, and that's when so you were onto something yeah king of the ring uh undertaker basically beat his ass and then uh he then following the july 5th episode of smackdown page gets a chance for the wcw heavyweight championship against booker t but fails to win the title after undertaker provides a distraction and from there that's when we see sarah go ahead and attack him as well and we we don't really get much from it he eventually you know at this point in time july 9th episode of raw that's when shane mcmahon and paul Heyman joined together to create the alliance and former wcw and ecw alumni joined forces to take control of wc uh to take control of wwf excuse me and that's when we're building towards the invasion pay-per-view. So at this point in time, we're seeing, you know, the invasion pay-per-view really get set up here. And it's just, 
a mess. It really is a mess. <laughs> um, they don't have enough of the big names, unfortunately, because they were all signed to lucrative specific contracts, which wouldn't allow them to compete for WWF for 18 months after WCW closed shop. So Goldberg, Sting, you know, the NWO, all these big names couldn't come and, and wrestle. And I mean, they had DDP, they had, you know, a few, they had Booker T and Buff Bagwell, I believe, Chris Canyon, you know, but but there wasn't enough gigantic star power to make it worthwhile. So people from the WWF at that time had to turn on the WWF and join the Alliance, like Stone Cold and others, just to make it fair <laughs> and believable yeah. that WCW stood a chance. And that's what really messed things up. So, mm-hmm. well, it, the Undertaker I, teams with Kane, The Rock, Chris Jericho, you know, at this point in time, and they're, you know, they're, they're starting to take on the alliances, you know, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, Shane McMahon, you know, this, this is the kind of things we're getting to. And it, before that, you know, The Undertaker and Kane are, are WCW tag team champions. That's when they defeat DDP and uh, Chris Canyon in a steel cage match. And, uh, they also win the WWF Tag Team Championship then, so, you know, eventually down the line you'll see that unified, but... It was a weird, like I said, 2001 with this whole invasion thing was very weird for Taker because he went from starting off in a, what seemingly like a main program or like a co-main program with DDP, and then just got sucked and morphed into the tag team division, and then they had this whole tag team rivalry where, like you said, he ended up winning the... Um, WWF and WCW tag team titles because, hey, if you got the belts, might as well pass them around to give everybody some street cred. And then ultimately just going to Survivor Series where Taker was right back on Team WWF beating um, beating the Alliance. It was – it's weird. 2001 was just a weird year for Taker. But, but there is a silver lining at the end of this because in 2001, Taker turns heel. Finally. Oh, this was my this is one of my favorite versions of Taker across the board. So after oh, absolutely after the alliance had been defeated, there was a moment where Vince McMahon was was starting off the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club, and Jim Ross was slated to be one of those members, and then Taker came out to defend him, and then basically said, you know, Jr., are you gonna you gonna kiss his ass? And he goes, hell no. He goes, does that mean you think you're better than me? And thus became that line whole, right there. You think you're better than me? I was shocked. Oh, so good. He wailed on Jim Ross, forced him to do so, and then it became a whole thing of fear going hand-in-hand hand with respect. And so Taker would then cut his hair a little shorter, still in the American Badass, but would basically be looking to uh, beat the respect out of people. And I loved everything about this. Uh, he would ultimately go on to uh, call himself the Big Evil with a big red demon uh, T-shirt that he usually wears, and then go on to Vengeance in December. And this is a weird one. I can, I, you know, some people forget this that Undertaker defeated Rob Van Dam. Which, by the way, you need to check this match out. This matchup was effing fun. It was really crazy to see uh, Undertaker in a hardcore match and beat Van Dam to win the hardcore title. Honestly, one of my and very they beat favorite. The hell out of each other. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Meanwhile, the first edition of Tough Enough is going on. <laughs> you know <laughs> what a disaster that was i mean it was it was uh, it was a fun watch the first season but you know maven wins for the male side of things and nothing besides what happened at the rumble was ever really done with him so the undertaker's next storyline begins at the rumble 
when Maven, who, like I said, just won the first season of Tough Enough for the men's side, eliminates The Undertaker by hitting him with a dropkick from behind. The Undertaker then eliminates Maven in return and assaults the shit out of him backstage. Beats the holy hell out of him. He tore him a new asshole for sure. Yeah, it was... (laughs) But it was worth that moment in the Rumble, though. It was worth it because that was... It was really, you know... You go back and look at Rumble moments. Not necessarily the wins, but the moments themselves. And that's still ranked up there. Even though Maven's nowhere to be seen as far as the wrestling business, as far as I know, that moment with Taker... Oh, yeah, uh, it was so shocking and, and unexpected that... And Taker became, did a great sell job, too. You no, know, he looked like he had no idea this was going to happen. He looked just furious. Oh, so good. Such a great moment. Um, unfortunately, it wouldn't yeah, really so go now, any further. <laughs> yeah, it, it just, it just kind of ended after he assaulted the hell out of him. So, The Rock taunts the undertaker's elimination and this under angers the undertaker who ends up now costing the rock the number one contendership for the undisputed wwf championship so this takes their feud forward when the rock costs the undertaker his match with maven for the hardcore championship so now you know that costs the belt from him now the undertaker is no longer the hardcore champion and uh, the two face off at No Way Out, where the Undertaker loses due to interference from Ric Flair. Woo. And the oh, interference yeah. began a storyline with Flair, who then challenges the Undertaker to WrestleMania 18. This was a weird one for me, and not yeah, because I know he wanted to be heel here, but you're used to Ric Flair being the heel, really, and it was just it, it didn't feel natural. No, I mean. It's a combination of things. Flair just got back with the company after the invasion storyline as well. And on top of that, um, on top of that, like this is a match that I feel like a lot of us as fans would love to see. But if if the situations were a little different, like obviously Flair was past his prime. Taker was a heel in the American. Like it was just a lot of different things going on at this time. Plus WrestleMania 18 was a very odd WrestleMania to say the least. Um, but yeah, you had rock and Hogan. It, it, but the thing that, that was really good that I, that I enjoyed about this was the build. I think that as weird as this match was, um, the build going into it, I thought was really cool because Taker wanted flair. He, you know, I don't think the, the audience was really exposed to how good flair was at this point in time. Um, or like was very familiar with him as much as the, as we are now. And I think that it had the audience was better versed in knowing how great Ric Flair was. I think this match would have been a lot more important. At least that's, that's my take looking back at all these different matches. The, the match yeah. itself though was so much fun. And I loved when he beat up David flair to build up the fight, you know, it, it was well that was the thing because you know the, like i said flair eventually accepted but first he declined he, he wanted no part of it and then the undertaker was you know irate attacks his son david and then he goes ahead and threatens to inflict the same punishment on rick flair's daughter and woo. flair eventually woo accepts the match because of that and flair says if we're going to do this it's going to be a no disqualification then and the undertaker Oh, he 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 destroys Ric Flair. It <laughs> goes on to uh, you know continue the streak. Now he's ten and zero at WrestleMania. 
So two things I want to note about this. First and foremost, can you imagine in, what was it? That was WrestleMania 18. So we're going into 35 now as of this recording. Can you imagine in three years, Charlotte's like, hey, remember when you threatened to beat me up 20 years ago and then just beats the shit out of him? That would be hilarious. Um, the, second, <laughs> the second was um, this was kind of when the first time that his streak was mentioned. It wasn't very prominent, but at the very end of the match, he's on the apron. He does the, he, he kind of counts 10 on all his fingers and holds them up. Um, this, this is really the only time that they acknowledge that takers had, Hey, by the way, he hasn't, he's had 10 straight victories at WrestleManias and it's not going to play heavy into it yet, but just kind of an inkling of, of what's to come. But, uh, yeah, 2001 was a, a weird year for, for undertaker. 2002 was also a weird year for the undertaker because after this, we got ourselves a brand split. Yeah, The Undertaker, um, he's moved to the Raw brand and defeats Stone Cold Steve Austin at Backlash to become the number one contender for the Undisputed Championship. He then helps uh, Hogan win the title against then-champion Triple H. (laughs) So now Hogan's champion. The Undertaker then defeats Hogan for the renamed WWE Undisputed Championship at Judgment Day. So now he's the champion. He beat Hulk Hogan. And then the next night on Raw, The Undertaker lost to Rob Van Dam, so he loses the title. However, Ric Flair restarts the match, and The Undertaker regains the championship. So, total chaos there. <laughs> and, just think, uh, just it, think how you know, crazy that back and forth. Just crazy how thing that thing that was, right? So, just hear me out. The Triple H wins the title at WrestleMania. The next month, he loses it to Hogan. The next month after that, Hogan loses it to Taker. You have three title changes in three months. Oh, yeah, and that quick, too. And it doesn't take long because Taker ends up dropping it two months later. But, but uh, yeah, can you, imagine, can you imagine just hearing that, right? Taker beats Austin, helps Hulk Hogan, beats Hulk Hogan, and becomes the champion. 2002 is weird. Very weird. <laughs> but there was a matchup while he was the undisputed champion that a lot of people... Um, to this day, still love, and that's the ladder match with Jeff Hardy. That one was particularly, I that was so emotional. Like it, it was interesting because at this point in time, Taker, um, was still doing the whole, obviously the whole, uh, you know, uh, fear and respect go hand in hand, and Taker had never been in a ladder match at this point in time, and I think realistically, there's only. There's only a few other times that in Taker's career he's been in ladder-esque matches. I think he's in TLC later. We'll get to that when we get to that. But um, but with this particular one, it was, it was different. Jeff Hardy was still like he was just starting to become like a new kind of like breaking away from the tag team scene. He was starting to become more re- you know uh, recognized as a singles competitor. Yeah. And, and now you have this matchup, which was awesome. Jeff comes oh so close. Taker beats him down, goes to leave. Jeff's like, I'm still standing, and actually shows him a sign of respect, um, which was very unlike Taker because he's been healed for most of the year. Yeah, um, this, not a, this helps the Undertaker become a fan favorite again and kind of turns the tide on his heel. Correct. And then I remember he actually had to defend the title the next next night on SmackDown against Kurt Angle. He had to defend the title twice in a week. That sucks. Um, and they actually did a controversial ending where basically – Angle had Taker in a triangle choke, but Angle's uh, Angle's shoulders were pinned to the mat. So while the referee was counting three, as the referee hit three, Taker tapped out. Yeah, 
And so. so because of this, this would lead to another awesome match I recommend, the Triple Threat at Vengeance. Yeah, this was great at Vengeance. You know, we see The Rock and Kurt Angle and The Undertaker, you know, and, and they're all in their prime at this point, essentially, I feel. You know, they're all firing on all cylinders, and what a match here. Even though The Undertaker lost to The Rock in this match, it was just fantastic. This is certainly one, again, we suggest you should check out on the network as soon as you have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I actually watched this one, I think, a year ago. Holy crap, it still holds up well. But um, I, I don't want to spend, you know, I, I feel bad because we, we, how much time we got on this thing? Oh, great. We've already been over an hour. We've only been into two years. Jake, I think we're going to be here for a week. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so I'm going to power through a little bit of 2002. Yeah. So if at any point, just stop me and let me know. Absolutely. So with 2002, I actually remember most of this because this, again, was right around when I was becoming a fan. With 2002, Taker did a very brief rivalry with the Un-Americans over on Raw, which is a very underrated group. I, I can't believe they didn't do more with them. And he actually beat Test at SummerSlam, thus cementing him now as the new babyface. However, at this point in time, we now have people jumping ship. So over on the August 29th episode of SmackDown, this is right after SummerSlam, Taker was now part of the SmackDown brand and pretty much became more or less a permanent member of SmackDown until basically the brand split didn't matter anymore. Uh, with him over there, I mean, you also had Brock Lesnar jumping, Benoit and Guerrero, and Taker ended up becoming the next major challenger for Brock Lesnar for his WWE championship because now they've split the championships. And uh, this was the first time that Brock and Taker would go at it, and they would go at it not once, but twice. Once at Unforgiven, which had, in my opinion, a very fun finish and a great way to end the pay-per-view, and then a rematch inside Hell in a Cell, which I really love because of the use of Taker's cast. Yeah, I mean, he had a legitimate broken hand in the match. <laughs> Crazy. What happened was, going into this, Brock had attacked him backstage and actually hit his hand with a propane tank. And so it was questionable whether or not he was going to be allowed to use the cast in the match because obviously casts are fit thick as hell. So it was a very interesting bill. I mean, they came out looking raw and bloodied after that Hell in a Cell match. And the yeah. great thing about that was really cementing Brock Lesnar because Brock obviously was so green. He had just beaten the Rock at SummerSlam. This not only gave him great matches, but also gave him great uh, credibility very, very quickly. Um However, Taker would, once again, seemingly like clockwork, apparently, at this time of year, take some time off. As Big Show jumps shipped over to the SmackDown brand and attacked Undertaker, tossing him off of the stage, thus getting him out of 2002, which is a hell of a way to leave the year. Taker would return at, well, the very first pay-per-view that I ever attended, the Royal Rumble 2003, where he'd come to the Royal Rumble but unfortunately uh, lose, but he would continue his feud with the Big Show. Uh, going into a match at No Way Out 2003, like I admit, like Jake had mentioned I reviewed earlier, um, where Taker would get the win via triangle choke, which I think is really the first, one of the very rare times or first times we've seen Taker do this, kind of implementing some of the MMA fighting into his style. Yeah, the Hell's Gate started to come you know, out more and things like that. And so once this happened, then A-Train, because apparently him and Big Show are you know, uh, in a sudden Because romance. the wrestling gods hate us. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll, I'll say what you will, but when A-Train hit the fucking powerbomb on, on uh, Undertaker, like after that match at No Way Out, he got some height in that thing. It was insane. Oh, he did. I just uh, I could never, never stand him. Well, I guess the office must have loved him because they were actually planning a tag. <laughs> <laughs> He's still, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. He's a he's a coach thing. That's. 
<laughs> Oops. <laughs> He's still kicking. Yeah, and this was really weird because this is when Nathan Jones, of all people, a new signee, comes to his aid. And the, the Colossus of Thunder Road. Yeah, the Undertaker trains him to wrestle, and they were scheduled to fight as a tag team at WrestleMania 19 against Big Show and A-Train. However, backstage, they felt that Jones was not capable of competing in the match up to the standards of WrestleMania, so they removed him to the match prior to the start. They make it a handicap match, but then they have him come out to help the Undertaker win in the end. So and, and, really and the, bizarre booking. And the best part was he got taken out by the FBI. <laughs> Fucking Nunzio. Nunzio took out Nathan Jones. I'm just saying, Nunzio, you better watch your back. Receipts are coming. Just saying. Um, <laughs> Cash that check. Uh. That was a weird one. That was a very weird one. I think that it was like, very weird, and and you know, like we said, all right, he's eleven and zero now, but that match fell flat. Not a great match. Um, pretty disappointing in in the grand scheme of things, you know. I feel like that match and the Giant Gonzalez are like, oh, it's part of the yeah. streak, but let's not <laughs> like, let's just skip over that quickly. <laughs> Two thousand three would be a uh, another you know kind of wrapping up essentially wrapping up the undertaker as the American badass. Um, basically he would go on to feud with John Cena, who John Cena, this young upstart kid from West Newberry, Massachusetts. But at this point in time, John Cena is full blown, um, Dr. Thugonomics. And I love this because of, uh, Word life. Oh, so good. It was so good because of Cena's raps. And there was actually a vignette where like Cena's insulting undertaker pissing on a grave in a, in a, in a graveyard. I mean, it was, it was just, it was really hokey stuff, but it was really fun. Yeah, I it was hokey, but edgy at the same time. It was weird. Very yeah. uh, unorthodox to say the least. And you know, this is where we see the undertaker get two more championship opportunities. He takes on Kurt Angle on SmackDown, but that ends in a no contest due to interference from Lesnar. And the second at No Mercy was a biker chain match between The Undertaker and Lesnar, which Lesnar won with the help of none other than Vince McMahon. Fun fact. So it's, kind leads, of, yeah. it's kind of interesting that Undertaker fights Brock Lesnar in the main event of No Mercy two years in a row for the title. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> Just weird. But yes, Vince McMahon interferes and then leads into yeah, a very interesting buried alive match. Yeah, and Survivor Series, so... The Undertaker doesn't have a, uh, a winning record in buried live matches. You know, you figure he would be the pro at it, but the Undertaker gets buried alive here against, you know, <laughs> the better wishes of the fans when Kane interferes and helps Mr. McMahon bury the Undertaker. I remember this match for a bunch of reasons. One, uh, it was very clever because what happened was Vince had basically gone on Brock Lesnar's side. Brock is back again being full heel, and Vince is like really being the dominating power on SmackDown. And so, obviously, Taker's pissed at what happened at No Mercy, so he wants a match. And so, Vince puts some sort of crazy match together at SmackDown where basically says, um, uh, I'll give you any match you want if you, if you win. And Taker like barely survives. And so, he's crawling to Vince because he's like beaten halfway to death. And he says, I want a buried alive yeah, he's match. he's on the stage. <laughs> yep, and he goes, I want a buried alive match. And Vince is like, fine, but Brock Lesnar's going to bury you alive. He goes, I don't want the match against Brock. I want the match against you. 
And so this goes into this huge and Vince's face just drops. Uh, but but then Vince goes into this like crazy higher power, almost kind of like a flashback of the Ministry of Darkness and kind of saying that he's been called by a higher power to to vanquish the Undertaker once and for all. And then as soon as the match starts, he gets hit by a shovel and starts bleeding more than Ric Flair. I mean, I've never. Well, he punches him first and he starts bleeding. He, he you know, grazed him with the glove and that that busts him open. And then he hits him in the head with a shovel, and that sends him into flare bleeding territory. I just love the hit. And Undertaker all out assaults McMahon. He carries his bleeding husk of a corpse over to the gravesite. And then McMahon's able to like roll away. He gets the shovel, hits Undertaker with it, and Undertaker falls in into the grave. McMahon gets pulled into it. Undertaker climbs to a front loader, but an explosion knocks him off of it. And come to find out Kane interferes he attacks Undertaker throws him in the grave and then McMahon operates the front loader and you know dumps all of the dirt down from it to win the match it's gotta be Kane and this is this is not even the main event mind you we still have to see Goldberg <laughs> and Triple H for the title so do we, do we have to <laughs> no we don't have to but you but know, just, we got to see Triple H retain. So surreal. Uh, it's just so surreal. I mean, uh, and also, I, I it, does Undertaker just love Christmas or something? Because he's taken this time off almost three years in a row, <laughs> like this time yes. of year. So weird. Um, who knew that Undertaker was a big fan of Santa? But anyway, uh, obviously. <laughs> so now the Kane says that his brother is dead and buried forever. And Undertaker's never gone. Never seen him again. Now, it's a few weeks right before WrestleMania, and, you know, Kane keeps having these haunting vignettes proclaiming The Undertaker's return. And we see during the Royal Rumble, The Undertaker's bells told, distracting Kane, allowing Booker T to eliminate him. And then we get to Raw. I believe it was the, the Raw the week before Mania. I'm there live in person. And usually you have the pyro to start the night and all that. And all of a sudden, we see this gigantic funeral procession come out. And you have this real, like piano ominous music playing it's not the undertaker's theme but it's like that then all the druids come out the fire's there and kane flips out and he's like i'm tired of you playing mind games with me and he comes out and he knocks over the casket and undertaker's not in it but you know it's just just one big mental you know fuck you to kane <laughs> essentially so great to see live in person and uh, you know, I, I, I just that stands out in my mind firmly. And we, we didn't know if The Undertaker would appear at Mania. You know, we, we had assumed so, but it wasn't set in stone. And, you know, Kane saying that I'm going to face my brother. But no one was sure if he was actually going to show up. And we get to Mania 20. And what a sight, right? There was so much before we get to that, though, there was so much. um the build for this was was brilliant because Kane had showed up in the Rumble, and then you hear the gong, lights go out, and just there were so many like little things that would happen. Like you would see one with like the casket like buried in dirt. And there was like dirt like like you had just taken it out of the grave. There was so much like the the ring was shaking, the t the t the 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 Undertaker symbol was on flame. There was so much brilliant stuff where Kane was getting paranoid, and even I remember this part uh, for WrestleMania. You know, they had, like, the whole, like, match things where you'd, like, see, like, the match promo where, like, you see, like, the animated little thing for, like, the match cards. Yeah. You never saw Taker. You saw Kane, no, but you saw, like, Kane. but you never saw what Taker, like, you didn't know what we were going to get. Are we going to get the American Badass? Are we getting the Dead Man? Are we getting, what are we getting? And I just thought that that was really clever because, it's like, 
you know, you could, they could have easily had, like, take your show up on Raw, like, I'll take you down at Mania, but they didn't even show what the hell he was going to look like. And I just exactly. thought it was genius. And we we get to the night, and Paul Bearer comes out. You hear him, you know, oh, yes. And, <laughs> you know, The Undertaker comes out, full druids, uh, you know, walking through pylons of fire just one of the best entrances he's had to date at this point in time as far as a dead man goes real goosebump inducing awe-inspiring bone-chilling perfection and you know this is kind of a, a hybrid version of the dead man he's he's still got a few glimpses of what's left of the american badass but he's back with you know the leather duster jacket and you know the the the, the dead man gimmick as much as possible so he defeats kane continues the streak i believe this is 11 and 0 at this point in time and it, it you know it's a decent match it was it was good it wasn't mind-blowing but it was good to you know to see him return it was obviously for more of the the, the like the idea of Taker coming back. So obviously you knew yeah, that. Yeah, it was more the spectacle than the actual match. Right, itself. right. And so that that's kind of like, that's why it's kind of like forgivable. It's like, okay, Taker's going to come back and he's going to lose to Kane in WrestleMania 20. Sure, okay, that's, yeah, it's going to, okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. Like, that's not really going to happen. But um, it's interesting because we got the grandiose of Taker. We didn't see him, like, pop out of a casket. We didn't see him, like, come out of the ground. It just, he waltzes out. He looks like he's in his garb, like you said, but it is like you know, like you said, a hybrid of 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 his American badass style because he's still having that same style, but at the same time, still imitating a lot of the original Dead Man stuff. And he would continue to do this. So Kane coming back and just him fighting with Kane was a quick little like you know, hey, how you doing? And then he would go on to some very interesting feuds over on SmackDown. Yeah, um, you know, at Judgment Day, The Undertaker defeats Booker T, and from there, you know, it's it's kind of quiet for The Undertaker. We see him here and there, but things really build up uh, three months later as Paul Heyman orders the Dudley Boys to kidnap Paul Bearer, <laughs> and thus Heyman took control of The Undertaker, and this leads to a match at the Great American Bash where the Undertaker is going to fight the Dudley boys in a handicap match with the stipulation that if he does not lay down and purposely lose, Heyman would be buried in, uh, Heyman would bury, excuse me, Paul Bear in cement. And they have it set up on the entrance ramp of a glass tomb, basically holding Paul Bear. And we see the cement truck whirring up behind and it's it's a you know scary sight to behold. You know, we we might see a man die in front of us on pay per view television. <laughs> I, I mean, <sighs> what the hell? <laughs> this is freaking crazy. Yeah, it, it's just it's it's next level crazy. It really is. I, I, I don't even know where to start with this. So like, okay, okay. <sighs> How do I? How do I even try to make rational sense of this? In an in, first and foremost, uh, fun fact: Vince McMahon was not at this pay per view, and it shows. No, he was not. <laughs> yeah, definitely, is, especially with the booking of the match. I mean, there was a lot of interferences, and and you know, you saw like Luther Reigns and Charlie Haas, and and you know, one of the major <laughs> matches was Mysterio and Chavo Guerrero. Sable was taking on Tori Wilson, and you had Suzuki uh, taking on Billy Gunn, like. 
Mordecai defeated Hardcore Holly. That was your second to main event. And then JBL and Eddie Guerrero. I mean, that was good. But the rest of the pay-per-view was like, oh, God. This is why WWE doesn't do nice things with WCW things. Yeah, exactly. So this whole thing is is just, like you said, very perplexing, but interesting at the same time. So Bear is locked on a chair inside this glass tomb, crypt, whatever you want to call it. And you got the cement truck pumping above him, ready to dump liquid cement all over him so the match was controlled by the undertaker you know for a good bit then the dudleys uh start to use a numbers game to their advantage but the undertaker ends up pinning devon following a tombstone pile driver and after the match the undertaker walks up to the cement truck and pulls the lever himself which in turn fills the crypt with bare inside full of cement and then they just cut off the pay-per-view and i'm like did we just did he just kill him did he die? <laughs> you yes. know, he's obviously you know, set up. But the way they filmed this, it was fantastic. Because there was there was no real like firm cutaway. You just saw it filling, 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 and then it was full. So it really looked like he was encased in cement. They did a very good job with that, you know, using the angles properly and mixing pre-recorded with live footage. Yeah, they did. I mean, uh, truth be told, they fooled the hell out of me. I, I'll be the first one to admit that. But uh, oh, I I agree entirely. I'm like, how did he get out of there? How would he be able to breathe? I couldn't figure it out at first. Weird, you know, especially at a younger age. But he did the trick, and Taker is now a free swinging bachelor. No one, no ball and chain <laughs> to tie him down. <laughs> so, He's going on plenty of fish can you, after can you, Jade. Can, can you imagine being on Tinder? Like, how did your last relationship end? Eh, <laughs> how did it not, end? Let's, let's not uh, talk about that. Um, by the way, if you think that's the swipe one. if you think that's the most comical thing that happened to Paul Bearer, it's not. He comes back later on. No. Um, but anyway, so uh, but now comes. Yeah, the, I mean, from here, this this is one of the feuds that I really enjoyed. I don't know about you, but this this kicked off into high gear for me. I didn't enjoy it at the time. But looking back, I, I do enjoy it now, and that's his feud with JBL. Yeah, Randy Orton's on uh, High Street with his legend killer gimmick. He's got some you know notable names beneath him for people that he's taken out uh, you know so far, and he challenges the Undertaker to a match at WrestleMania 21, and claims that he would be the one to end the WrestleMania winning streak. Well, before well wait before you get to that though, there's also his run with JBL. Oh yes, yes. I I actually I went a little too far ahead. I know. I I know it's our. We have guys. We have like literally like I'm not kidding you. Like decades of pages of notes. So it's it's easy for us to skip over <laughs> stuff. I mean we had we couldn't skip the invasion, but goddamn it. Um, but no, we had his feud with, with <laughs> J, we had, uh, we had his feud with JBL first for the championship. Uh, this was interesting, and I didn't. And I guess I just said to, to Jake, I didn't appreciate this at the time that it happened because uh, I, yeah, see, I didn't either. No, I, I was I was referring to Randy Orton. That's why it makes sense. You said you didn't appreciate it. Oh, that one. Too, yeah, I but, wasn't but, about. I didn't care for the uh, the JBL one either. Now I look back a little more fondly, but then I was against it as well. So I, I think the problem was that it was I think the same consensus with everybody was that. No one liked JBL as champion because it literally was like where and got like that just came out of effing nowhere, no pun intended. And but but with Taker coming in, just like with Brock Lesnar two years prior, he's attempting to make um, you know JBL a strong champion. They have two matches because at this point the pay per views are now split between Raw and SmackDown, so there's a little bit more time in between. The first one is at SummerSlam, which ends in a disqualification. 
but the ending of the match was fan-freaking-tastic with Taker choke slamming JBL through the roof of his limo. And the reason I love this so much, not only because of that epic spot, but because the next night on SmackDown, he came with a halo on, the giant like contraption to hold his neck. And to make sure he still looked good, they put the hat on top of the halo. I freaking lost my mind when I saw that because of how funny it was. <laughs> and it didn't stop Taker from tombstoning him afterwards. And at no, no mercy, at, at no mercy, they kept it going with having a last ride match, which essentially is an ambulance match. Just instead of an ambulance, you put a hearse. Although Taker also lost that one due to interference from everyone's favorite uh, sodomi- sodomizing poet, Heidenreich. Oh, joy. <laughs> Everybody's sorry, favorite. I, I know you wanted to skip this one, but sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, about that Randy Orton. About that Randy Orton, you know, <laughs> skip. But I guess I'll just do the, real, the, 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 the service of kind of getting through things real quick. We saw Taker defeat Heidenreich at Survivor Series. Then when I thought was a very clever little twist, JBL defended his championship at Armageddon in a fatal four-way against the other three members uh, that he'd been facing off for the championship. So it was JBL, Eddie Guerrero, Undertaker, and Booker T. I really recommend checking this out because not only are fatal four-ways really hard to pull off, and they do, but it's four almost completely different styles from each other, and uh, they're all from Texas. Go figure. Uh, yeah. But it was a fun match, although Taker screws that one up again. But um, Yeah, you figured The Undertaker looked like he was about to be successful and regain the title. But like you said, Heidenreich interferes, costs him the match, and they end up culminating the feud in a casket match between The Undertaker and Heidenreich at the Rumble, where The Undertaker sealed Heidenreich in a casket for the victory, never to be seen again. Thank God. Well, so this is where we get into Randy Orton, and this is this is one like I said I was fond of then because he's full on in the uh, you know legend killer gimmick, and he's he's not afraid of the Undertaker. He claims though every time after challenging Undertaker, something uh, rem, you know resembling the Undertaker coming around, Orton disappears. He runs away. He hides. Like it was very entertaining. And Orton uh, was was on a, a tirade, really, you know, trying to make himself as much the heel as possible. And he goes ahead. This is the time where he's got his on-screen girlfriend, Stacey Keebler, by his side. And <laughs> on the March 21st edition of Raw, he turns himself fully into a villain after he delivers an RKO to her, knocking her unconscious. You know, truly out of nowhere. I don't know if that one made me laugh more or the fact that he just cold cock bitch slapped the undertaker <laughs> that was good as well but um you know you, you see a lot here because he he's getting you know advice from family telling him to you know you hear graham's voice saying you know go above and set yourself apart from any other wrestler by ending the Undertaker's streak so he's he's pretty much you know he's got Cowboy Bob Orton in one side and superstar Billy Graham and you know, all, all these people, you know, basically playing puppet master in a sense, telling him to attain the unachievable. And he even has Jake Roberts uh, in an interview basically telling him um, not to underestimate the Undertaker and Orton RKO's Roberts as well. So, <laughs> you know, just another legend checked off. So Orton becomes more defiant, unafraid of the Undertaker, taunting and assaulting him, you know, in the ring following distractions from his father, uh, you know, Bob Orton, as I said. So at WrestleMania 21, we get to the actual uh, pay-per-view match. 
and it, it was a decent match. I enjoyed this one. You know, it, it was essentially Raw versus SmackDown, partially too, the way they booked it. Orton was right. representing Raw, Undertaker represented SmackDown, and you know, you, you saw them going back and forth. Like I said, the contract signing with the bitch slap, and, <laughs> which was entertaining, and uh, initially. He he fleds, you know, flees the ring and runs away, and it it just goes back and forth. But uh, Orton attacked the Undertaker, goes for the RKO, and then ends up getting taken out, and the Undertaker wins at Mania. So now, you know, the streak continues. This is kind of where the streak starts to really take hold. I think next year it kind of gets skipped over with Mark Henry, which we'll get to. And then it like starts to get full throttle. But this is kind of where we start to really get focused on the idea of there's a streak and Taker has not ever been defeated on the, on the grandest stage of them all. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, the first time really that the streak was challenged as well. We had heard before about the streak briefly. You know, he held his fingers up for the 10 and 0. The two-on-one handicap match, it wasn't really brought up. But against Kane, it was it was noted by the announced team. But Randy Orton specifically said, you know, I, I'm going to end the streak. And this is where the name the streak was given to, right. you know, his win uh, career at WrestleMania. Before that, they just kept saying, like, oh, he's never lost before. Or, you know, he keeps winning. They didn't really say he's on a winning streak. So Right. And by the way, I want to give a little bit of shout-out to... to um... My friend Alexman, who actually does a lot of not only wrestling reviews, but also does great mashups. And he did one of, um, uh, it's. I still listen to it to this day. It's a mashup of all the WrestleMania um, entrances. So it's like it, it going by every WrestleMania of every Taker match from the start until WrestleMania 30. And so he remixes Taker's theme with the theme of his opponent. It's amazing. Oh, that's that's really cool. I definitely uh, have to check that. Out. I will send it to you once we're wrapping this up. But it's it's one of my favorite things to listen to. Shout out to you, boy, Delex man. Go check it out. Just type in Undertaker Streak vid, and you'll see it's it's amazing. But <laughs> so before we turn this into a three parter, uh, yeah, quickly, I you know this has to be brought up because it is very um, noteworthy. Muhammad, Muhammad I should say. Yeah, uh, you know, this point in SmackDown, it's July 4, 2005. It is taped, but good old general manager Theodore Long, <clears throat> excuse me, puts Muhammad Hassan in a match against The Undertaker at the Great American Bash and placed uh, Daivari in the match that night against The Undertaker. Undertaker wins quickly, but after the match, Hassan began to pray on the ramp, summoning five masked men dressed in black shirts, ski masks, and camouflage pants. Armed with clubs and piano wire, the masked men beat and choke the Undertaker violently, and then Hassan put the Undertaker in a camel clutch. Afterwards, the men lifted uh, Daivari above their heads and carried him away. Three days later, after the taping, London bombings take place, and then they air yeah. SmackDown. So the footage airs uh, unedited on UPN in the United States and the score in Canada with an advisory warning shown several times during the broadcast. It was entirely cut from the Australian and European broadcast, including the UK. So this angle, you know, caught, it was it elicited national headline attention from, you know, everything from TV Guide, Variety, New York Post, CNN, and so on. 
UPN decided that it would monitor the storyline closely and that it did not want the Hassan character on its network that week. Hassan later delivered a promo to the live crowd on July 14th of that year, but when UPN announced that the segment would be edited, WWE decided to host a video of the segment on its website. And in the segment, Hassan reiterates that he is Arab-American and that the American people automatically and unfairly assume that he's a terrorist. Despite being in character, he referred to the real-world media coverage of the storyline, uh, singling out the New York Post's uh, Kaplan by name and denouncing his description of the events on SmackDown. So Kaplan's comment of the masked men being Arabs in ski masks. And then on the July 14th episode of SmackDown, Hassan's absence was explained by a statement delivered by his lawyer, Thomas Whitney, which said that Hassan refused to appear on the show until the Great American Bash due to the way he had been treated by the media and WWE fans. So late 2005, UPN pressured WWE to keep Hassan off of their network and removed him from SmackDown effectively. Undertaker defeats Hassan at the Great American Bash. He becomes the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. And after the match, the Undertaker delivered a last ride through an open stage ramp on the concrete floor to Hassan. And it's reported that Hassan sustained serious injuries, had to be rushed to a nearby hospital, riding Hassan off of television. And several days later, WWE hosted a video of a kayfabe announcement on their website from Theodore Long, where he reiterates the stipulation that Hassan would no longer appear on SmackDown. It was revealed that Hassan was going to receive a major push, eventually winning the World Heavyweight Championship from Batista at SummerSlam, thus breaking Randy Orton's record of being the youngest champion in WWE history. But unfortunately, none of this happened because of the London bombings and the terrible terrorist attack. I mean, you talk about just horrible timing. And it's interesting because I... Doug, the Muhammad Hassan character. By the way, he's not Arab. He's Italian. <laughs> just FYI. Yeah, um, exactly. I love Davari. I thought Davari was great. I mean, just the whole thing. But it, that whole that whole controversy about the whole thing. And, and really, the big thing that was a big question mark for me about it was like, you know, again, SmackDown was taped. So when when these things happened, they had the opportunity to like, edit it or cut it and and it, so it wasn't like WWE you know it wasn't WWE's fault per se i mean it, it's more the network and it yeah, was yeah the network like, chose to air it still just with airing uh you know warnings along with guidelines and here's the thing too WWE is has not strayed from pop culture references and things like that in the past i mean they used footage of the O.J. Simpson freaking, uh, you know, the <laughs> highway chase, <laughs> you know, with the Bronco, that infamous scene, at you know, with Piper and Goldust. I mean, we've that's just the first thing that comes to mind. But they've used controversial, um, you know, pop culture issues, I want to say, and, and things like that before without hesitation. You know, 9-11 was another thing that stands out as they were the first public, like, meeting uh, following the, the, you know, the, the tower attacks. And they've done a lot of things like that before. It was just bad timing. I think that if, obviously, unfortunately, we wish it didn't happen, but if the London bombing hadn't happened, you know, with, with the sickening results that we saw there, you know, the, the, the horrible depravity of that entire scene and, and massacre, I mean, that was awful. I think that the angle would have been better received. Because it's okay when you mix in a bit of real-world realism into wrestling. It helps suspend disbelief and make it more believable. And I think it would have worked. But, again, like you said, wrong place, wrong time. So, And apparently all it takes is some terrorists to take down The Undertaker. 
Um, <laughs> only, only in wrestling. ISIS wins again. Only in wrestling can you have a literal effing dead man be taken out by a bunch of terrorists. I, I, I just, just, I, uh, yeah, yeah. When you say it out loud like that, you know what I mean. Fucking weird. So matter-of-factly, you know, just like, yeah, that works. Things like that make me question my hobbies. Anyway. Um... Anyways, you know, The Undertaker uh, loses the JBL number one contenders match once again due to interference of... with Orton. Yeah, Orton's yeah. back, baby. Yeah. He's back, and he's he's looking for revenge. So this is leading to them feuding until SummerSlam. Orton defeats The Undertaker in a WrestleMania rematch. And the storyline just continues to intensify. They taunt each other with caskets, leading into a handicap casket match and no mercy, in which The Undertaker loses to Randy and his father, Cowboy Bob Orton. And then after the match, the Ortons, they pour gasoline on the casket and set that bitch ablaze, Connor. What, why does this sound familiar? I'm getting deja vu. <laughs> I don't know. I, wait, I don't no, think we've wait, seen wait, this I, before, I, have I, we? Wait a minute. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't we think have. it's it's never no. happened before. No. Never ever. happened before. No, nope. first ever. <laughs> so when the casket charred and and burnt, still smoking, is opened, the Undertaker, he's gone. He's like a dad with alimony. He's out of there. So, you know, he he is completely vanished. And again. Kudos to WWE and the production team on this one because they they really didn't cut from the casket being ablaze long enough to make it seem like he would have time to escape. And when they opened the casket, he's not there. It was it was definitely uh, more unexpected than I thought. I thought they were going to open the casket and have him like you know pop out and go for another you know nothing. I figured maybe he would even sell the injuries and no he uh, he was he was just gone, burnt to a crisp. Uh, now, the, the interesting thing that I think something I just want to point out, now obviously at this point in time, we're, we're into uh, the fall of 2005, and I do want to make a note of this because this does have to sort of do with Undertaker in terms of his, uh, his character. The plan was that Taker was not set to return so soon, uh, but unfortunately the passing of Eddie Guerrero did kind of speed things up a little bit. Um, supposedly Taker was not supposed to come back. That was supposed to take him off because, you know, when you're burned alive in a casket twice, it tends to do some damage and maybe, I don't know, take out for a while. <laughs> it may, take, may take you out forever, but Taker with him at least a couple months. Taker couldn't celebrate Christmas because he's in the ICU. He, he tried. He wanted to get away for Christmas. But... Only in the same year could he get attacked by terrorists and set on fire in a casket by a man and a guy, <laughs> like to, a, a man and his son. A man, by the way, who's had a cask, uh, um, a cast on his arm for twenty plus years. <laughs> Who also uh, encased wrestling. his father in concrete just just recently as well. So, gotta love wrestling. Uh, anyway. Here's a, a a very memorable moment: Survivor Series. Orton, you know, wins. They're closing out at the end of the night, and then a burning casket appears, and the Undertaker emerges. It was surreal. Uh, the ring begins to shake. He has lightning, I believe, come from his hands at this point too. Very, very Phantom of the Opera, you know, esque theatricality here, but just so amazing, just so much fun. Undertaker's back, like you said. Unfortunately, not because of the best of reasons with, you know, Andy Guerrero, uh, you know, that that's a very sad point in time, but 
you know, we were happy to see the Undertaker return. So, um, and, then, and then comes the most ridiculous. <laughs> then, yeah, comes, so, then comes a very fun, ridiculous bill because I, I I don't mean to cut you off, Jake, but this is no, it is. Th- this is one of my favorites. So obviously, we're leading into a rematch between Orton and Taker. They're not done yet. It's going to culminate. Yeah, they're our- they're essentially one and one. You know, right. he won at Mania. Orton wins at SummerSlam. So now they need to finish this. And so they're they're building towards a Hell in a Cell match at Armageddon. And I just remember some of the build going into this was the most Undertaker-like stuff we've seen since he's come back as the dead man. And what I mean by that is the cheesy, hokey stuff that we talked about in part one at Nauseam comes back, I think, in full swing between Undertaker being seen in reflections of mirrors that we can all see, but Orton can't for sometimes and some reasons, uh, to... Undertaker <laughs> possessing Josh Matthews during an interview segment. I forgot about that. Enjoying the ride, Randy. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's interviewing <laughs> Randy Orton, and then suddenly just he sells it so well, too. He really does. He just becomes possessed. Uh, like you said, some of the hokiest things we've seen at this point, and the, the, the limo smoking, like all of it, you know, oh. it just ridiculous but the hell in a cell match however is great stuff bloody old school because it's bloody (laughs) during the match orton hits undertaker with a steel chair all right and then the undertaker takes that steel chair hits orton with it and orton begins to bleed like no other orton then hits undertaker with the steel steps and now the undertaker's bleeding and then Bob Orton tries to intervene, but the Undertaker gives him a big boot, causing the Cell and Bob to collide with each other, and that gives him a huge laceration as well. Blood all over the ring. Orton executes a diving splash through a table on the Undertaker, gets a real close near fall. Orton ducks a punch from the Undertaker that caught referee Nick Patrick, bloodying him as well. Everybody's <laughs> bleeding. Referees, EMTs, they all rush down. So Bob enters the cell, and Orton hits the RKO, but there was no referee to make the count. So Charles Robinson comes in to try and you know finish the match. Undertaker kicks out at two. The Undertaker executes a last ride on Orton, but his father breaks up the pinfall. The Undertaker then takes out his frustrations on Bob Orton. He attempts a tombstone pile driver on Orton. Orton reversed the tombstone on the Undertaker for a near fall. Great spot there. Then his father tried to get involved again. Undertaker attacks him, takes him out. He hits Bob and Orton with an urn and executed a tombstone on Bob Orton. And then he hits the tombstone pile driver on Randy Orton to win the match. Everybody's bleeding. Everybody's destroyed. Everybody's battered. And it was a 31-minute Hell in a Cell match for the ages at Armageddon. Excellent, excellent match. And now everyone has hepatitis. <laughs> Everybody needs an STD test. For those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, uh, at this point in time, it was revealed that after the match, uh, Bob Orton was retested and his blood came back that he had hepatitis C, which infuriated yeah. The Undertaker, and rightfully so, because of this exact match. Because yeah, he and he never should have been involved if he was, you know, knowingly infected. Which he, which nobody knew. 
Nobody. I knew guess he tried. Knew. I heard uh, per se down, you know, the the grapevine that he tried to keep that hidden at one point so he could, could still be involved in the angle and wouldn't but surprise me. There's ways me, around that though. There are, but uh, old well. school stays old school. That's why I said bloody old. I guess so. So and- it was here. Uh, after this match, the Undertaker takes another short hiatus. Of course, from he wrestling. does. <laughs> this time, it's always and, the same time of year. And when was Armageddon? That was December eighteenth. So look at that. He makes it just in time for Christmas. Chip, chip, cheerio. <laughs> Taker comes down the chimney. <laughs> Happy Christmas, Connor. Happy Christmas. So he he's uh you know down and out for a little bit he takes a brief hiatus and he doesn't come back to the 2006 rumble he returned <laughs> during Kurt Angle's celebration of his uh championship defense against Mark Henry oh this is when he does the lightning from his hand excuse me he comes out in a horse drawn cart signaling for a title shot so this is when he has the lightning out of his hands very re- very cool i remember this because it was interesting because number 1 the rumble was not the main event usually the rumble is the main event of the rumble pay-per-view but in this case it was Kurt Angle it was Kurt Angle, Mark Henry for the championship, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Taker, as he does, as he's Taker, comes out in a horse-drawn carriage, doesn't say a word, points to Angle, does the the championship like you know around the waist motion, holds his hands up, lightning comes down and destroys the ring, as yeah, you do. The ring rumbles, falls, and it was it was just a great sight. As that's customary. Yeah, for- this is what I was confusing with uh, when he returned to. Get or yeah, fire you know, lightning. He just kicked open the casket. <laughs> Jake, we're in the this year time. Two- he's got lightning from his hand. Jake, we're at 2006 at this point. We've been chronicling this guy's career for 16 years now. At this at this point in time, I think it's forgivable to confuse lightning with fire when it comes to the Undertaker. <laughs> that it is. So God, but I will say, uh, as as goofy as it was for him to come out and challenge Taker, their match at No Way Out was amazing. It's another 30-minute match. Uh, you know, it, it was just incredible for what these two could do. And unfortunately, Undertaker loses. Kurt Angle bests him. But the Undertaker corners Angle after the match and told him, I'm not finished with you yet. However, during a rematch on SmackDown, Mark Henry attacks the Undertaker from behind. Oh, no. And it costs him the title. Oh, no. Oh, this no. led to the Undertaker challenging Henry to a casket match. Oh, yeah. WrestleMania 22. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry, like Orton a year before, vowed to end the Undertaker's WrestleMania winning streak. So we get to WrestleMania 22, and this is small potatoes for the Undertaker at this point in time. He easily defeats Mark Henry. Now he's 14-0 and at Mania. And they even have a rematch on the next episode of SmackDown following Mania. And that's when... Oh, no. <laughs> the great Kali makes his debut and assaults the Undertaker into a new feud. It transitions into a storyline. Oh, God, help us. So a couple things I want to mention about the Mark Henry match first is um, it wasn't horrible, but at the same time, you know, we just had the match with Orton, the previous WrestleMania, which focused a lot on the streak. And I felt like this one was very... Uh, thrown together, and not not in a bad way per se, but another big reason that this was kind of all scrambled about was because of Batista being injured, and this kind of had a domino effect because Batista yeah. Batista was the world champion at the beginning of 2006. Angle slid in, became the champion. He jumped over from Raw. So there was just a lot of like 
they had plans, plans got messed up and everything else was affected by, like you said, the domino effect, everything trickled down. And unfortunately that that's pretty much how it worked. And it, it, it did feel very quickly thrown together. Henry at that time didn't really feel like a proper opponent for the undertaker. And it led to kind of a, a unyielding, you know, effort from the undertaker at mania. It just didn't feel like he was a credible threat at that point in time. Right. So even though like, we had a lot of focus on the streak the year prior, like I mentioned. This one just felt like kind of like, man, I mean, I don't even think they had like a hype video for it, to be honest with you. And especially when you go from SummerSlam with a great match with Orton to Armageddon, you know, with that incredible Hell in a Cell match to the No Way Out 30-minute match with Angle and then the rematch subsequent afterwards. Like, we had these, you know, minimum 30, 31-minute matches time and time again. And then we get this, and it was just very underwhelming it was very short uh the the entire match was nine minutes and 26 seconds so i think that if you did this with the hall of pain mark henry the world champion yeah yeah that would have changed things but at this time mark henry was kind of just you know he was he was soon to get into that gimmick but he wasn't there yet so then we get to <sighs> those you don't know the size Skip. of this can we Can we we skip Great Kali, please? I guess we can't. So, SmackDown after WrestleMania 22, we see the debut of the Great Kali. Now, interestingly enough, I will say this, obviously. From a debut slash intimidation standpoint, visually intimidating as all hell. He came in, did the, I call it the Hassan Yeah, he's monstrous, he's massive, he's huge. He just is really unique looking. Uh, the theme music, everything. It, it just, he had a cool like look to him, but just no in ring ability. He was too large for his size to be really athletic at all. His legs could barely support him, his knees didn't really hold him up. He didn't sell at all for anything that he was hit by. He's a top heavy giant Gonzalez. Exactly. And it, worse than that, I mean, <laughs> I think Gonzalez was a bit more limber and nimble than uh, Kali was because there just wasn't much that he could do. You thought that he was going to collapse on his way to the ring just by the way his knees buckled. And, so, you know, it, it just wasn't a, a great scenario. The Punjabi prison matches that happened were oh, laughable. Wait, wait to hear this because this is, this is the really interesting part. So just to show you how much of a chaos and calamity this was in a very short amount of time, right? So... Kali debuts right after WrestleMania 22, right? I almost said 32, Jesus. Right after 22, and they go into a program, obviously, because Kali takes him out. They're going to go into a match at Judgment Day. Taker loses, and he's gone for a while because they obviously need to build up the mystique and, 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 and stretch this thing out for a while. So <laughs> Kali challenges him to a Punjabi prison match, which at this point... No one, not even WWE, knows what the hell that is. In fact, the version of a Punjabi prison match, I think it's changed every time they've done one, which I think has been like three. <laughs> yeah. Fucking weird. Kali was removed from the match. Yeah, go figure. So Because he's not medically fit to compete. I, I believe the, the, the excuse was there was too many enzymes in his liver. I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> I think they were just worried that it was going to stink. In any case, they replaced it with the then ECW champion, The Big Show, who Taker won. So I just want to make sure that, you know, um, 
<laughs> how cursed this was. They were supposed to have a last man standing match at SummerSlam. But then they decided to change it and actually make it to a match at on SmackDown instead because they didn't think it was going to be that good enough for SummerSlam, which I don't blame them after going back and trying to find this match. And yes, I tried to find this match on purpose. So Taker was not at SummerSlam, which I actually remember because this is the same one that me and Joe both, well, both went to. This was the one in Boston. And I was like, oh, I get to see The Undertaker. And they decided to do it on SmackDown. I'm like, you mother. I mean, granted, it's the great Kali, but I'll take my victories where I can. Um, but now, now that that disaster was out of the way with the great Kali, he actually moves on to trying to, once again, which is what Taker's pretty much known for that we've known, uh, you know, for a majority of this retrospective, is building new, younger talent, and this time it's with a young upstart named Mr. Kennedy. Wait for it. Kennedy. Kennedy. <laughs> So from here, you know, again, could could have been better, but he goes and uh, takes on Mr. Kennedy at no mercy for the then United States Championship. He was disqualified in the match after he hit Kennedy with the belt, though. So, you know, unable to capture that title. And then we hit November 3rd episode of SmackDown. The Undertaker reunites with Kane. They reform the Brothers of Destruction for the first time in five years and they defeat the reluctant opposition team of Mr. Kennedy and MVP, Montel Vontavious Porter. Oh, man. Bam! Yeah. And Kane was feuding with him at the time. So as part of the storyline, Kennedy defeated The Undertaker in a first blood match at Survivor Series after MVP interfered, but finally defeated Kennedy in a last ride match at Armageddon. So they continued to feud in 2070, 2007, can't talk, as Kennedy... Uh, cost The Undertaker two title matches uh, for a championship match at the Royal Rumble. So The Undertaker eventually qualified for the 2007 Rumble match by winning a Battle Royal on January 26th episode of SmackDown. So he wasn't going to be able to fight for the title at the Rumble, but he was going to be in the Rumble match itself. Now, I did remember very briefly the, the, the run with Kennedy, and you're right, I think it was good, but it could have been a lot better. And I think that they were trying to rush things with Kennedy a little too quick. But I mean way too quick. I mean they tried to elevate him so fast and it just never you know was caught by the fans. They just weren't able to grasp anyone's attention. I do remember one part of the the build where like Taker and Kennedy were doing a promo in the ring and Taker turned his back and obviously Kennedy had like the the old school like the drop down mic from like the Madison Square Garden like boxing days and he went to go throw it at like to hit Taker with it from behind and it blew up in his hand because yeah. of lightning. I remember that part very clearly, which I, I do was remember that kind of clever. Um, it was, yeah. a, it was a cool spot, but I mean, again, that's the thing with Kennedy. They never let it garner natural attention. You know, everything was, was manufactured with him. They didn't let anything take time to, to stew and boil. They just kept giving him big spot after big spot. I mean, he was with Batista before this, and then he was with the undertaker. And it's like, you, you, you're the U.S. champ. You, you just got essentially to the main roster on all, you know, in WWE. And this is, you know, one big thing after another. And he just didn't feel like he fit in the main event scene. So, no, but I mean, I guess the weird part was adding Kane into the mix. Like, I know Kane was feuding with MVP, 
but the fact that they would bring them together because of, like Kennedy and MVP are like like it's so one sided. Like you know what the it's hell extremely one sided. So and it's, and it's they were like as I said, reluctant partners. They didn't even work really much together at that time. Like as much as they they kind of had each other's back, they didn't. It wasn't like they had the connection Kane and Undertaker did. So it didn't right. make sense not. to force them together. Maybe as much as Hyde this all leads to the 2007 <laughs> Royal Rumble, though. And, uh, you know, as much as The Undertaker has accomplished already with his massive streak at WrestleMania, all of his championship victories, he's never won the Royal Rumble. And this would be his first Rumble win. He would uh, be the first man to enter the Rumble at number 30 and win the match. He, after lastly, eliminates none other than Shawn Michaels. So The Undertaker elected to face Batista at WrestleMania 23. Then he attacks him with a choke slam. As at No Way Out, Undertaker and Batista reluctantly, yet again, there's that word, team together to challenge John Cena and HBK. Um, you know, I I don't care for when they they force opponents to team together. It's funny that Joe and I just said that recently. You know, they they do this time and time again, and it's one angle that I've just never been able to get behind. Well, if it's done right. Most times I feel like it just isn't, you know, and every now and again you'll get one that works, but it's it's so poorly executed most often that it just leads to being laughable. Well, I think the 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 the, the way the only way it works is if there's a if there's a goal that would make them put aside their differences in order to achieve it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to have them face someone that they have a, a common goal against, and that like, often is not the case. They're just teaming together for the sake of teaming together. One thing that I actually read a fan, actually, I don't think it's a fan thing. I think it's actually one of the video games, is when you go and play SmackDown versus Raw GM mode, which I miss very deeply, um, is when you do Raw versus SmackDown GM mode, you pick your team for Survivor Series to face up against your other opponents, your other brand. Whichever brand team wins gets um gets the number 30 spot in the rumble for that brand. Oh, that's interesting. So I would I would I would like to have that where it's like, you know, okay, you have a heel and a baby face on the same side. It's like, well, one of you could be the number 30 in the rumble. Oh, good idea. Yeah, so now it makes sense for us to work together. That's the problem with a lot of these matches nowadays. They don't have any payoff and exactly. it makes them less interesting and believable there's no nothing to compel you to to want to win or root for anyone for that matter Mm -hmm. but as it were taker would still win (laughs) oh oh, no um uh, (laughs) we're leading into they they lost no way out so undertaker and batista they're teaming up as i had said and they failed to win after batista gained revenge on the undertaker by hitting him with a spine buster and michaels gets the pin that leads us to wrestlemania 23 Leads to WrestleMania 23, where we see Taker against Batista for the World Heavyweight Championship. And uh, truth be told, this matchup was pretty damn awesome. I actually, going back and watching this one, I was like, I think, again, it's it, this one's one of those ones where not a lot of people talk about, but really, to me, is also a great credit to Batista. It, Batista held his own here. He was very impressive. And a lot of people were down to Batista at this point, feeling like he was just a, I don't want to say like, you know, carbon copy is seen in the sense like five moves of doom, but he was very limited in his abilities, almost like. Right. And a lot of people, you know, you kind of got that you can't wrestle feel. 
and he held his own against the Undertaker, and they both delivered one hell of a championship match. So, unfortunately, though, as much as cool as it was to see Taker holding the big gold belt, it would not last that very long. Essentially, Taker and Batista would face a couple of times. Uh, for the championship, they actually faced each other at a, uh, a rematch and backlash in a last man standing match. The match ended in a draw when neither one were able to get up to their feet in time, meaning Taker retained the title, which I do love that finish. Um, they did it once before, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, where they do a last man standing and it's a draw. I think it's just great because it makes both men look good, but if they overdo Oh, yeah. It, I mean, even when they did it with you know Gargano and Ciampa, you, know, you see those right. kind of things. It, yeah. it's, it's well executed if it fits. But... They would have one more match randomly at the May 11th SmackDown inside a steel cage match once again, ending in a draw where both men's feet hit the floor at the exact same time. However, there would be a little bit of a different ending. After the match, Mark Henry, because apparently Mark Henry just loves to interfere in matches for random fucking reasons, made his return and insulted all, and, and uh, took out Undertaker. And then right after that comes You Edge. think you know me. So to back up here... Mr. Kennedy, Kennedy, won the Money in the Bank from WrestleMania 23, the same one that Taker won the world title. However, as injuries go about, Kennedy couldn't hold the briefcase, so Edge beat him for it on Raw and then jumped Brands. Edge was over on Raw, so he came in, cashed in the Money in the Briefcase, forcing Taker to defend his title once again. He kicked out of two quick pin attempts, however... Two more spears, and Edge had beaten Undertaker for the championship. Now, obviously, a lot of people are like, what the hell? And as you can probably guess, yes, Undertaker took some more time off due to a torn right bicep. So once again, the dead it's man is It's not Christmas gone. time. Yeah, I know, right? It's Christmas time. <laughs> no, it's so, May. He gets the summer off. He, well, sort of. Yeah, some of it. So it's at this point in time, he's rehabbing. Henry's, you know, bragging about his assault on the Undertaker. And then we see vignettes... Uh, playing, promoting The Undertaker's return. The Undertaker returns at Unforgiven in September, defeating Mark Henry quickly. Then Batista and The Undertaker reignited their feud at Cyber Sunday, and the fans chose to have a special guest referee be none other than the Rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Even with Austin being the referee, though, Batista retained the title. Then they fought at a Hell in a Cell at Survivor Series, and uh edge returned and interfered to help batista retain the title again i remember this because edge was posing as a cameraman inside the hell in the cell such an epic moment so fantastic edge had a few of those you know surprising moments he did it you know with the helmet at the ecw show the one night stand and yep you know it just uh overlooked at times but can't be overstated his effect on the business that's Maybe for you sure should have so. edge in the poll for the next one Ooh, that's a that's a great idea. I was there the night he retired, and and I bawled like a little little girl. So, um, in response to this, Undertaker delivers Tombstone Pile Driver, good old classic, to Vicky Guerrero, who's the general manager at SmackDown, sending her to the hospital. So, Teddy Long comes back and declares a triple threat match for the title between three men at Armageddon, which Edge won. Uh, after interference from the Major Brothers, who was Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. I, I, so kind of giggled about this with the whole like Eric Angle thing earlier with Kurt Angle and, and, and Taker. They did the exact same thing where they had Kurt and Zack dress up like Edge. And it was just genius because there's so much confusion and chaos and just ah, yep. so good. And it worked here, but <laughs> it's so silly, but it was so effective. Uh, the Undertaker uh, then makes it to the Royal Rumble match. 
and this is in 2008, he enters at number one. Hmm. Surprising. He's eventually eliminated by none other than Shawn Michaels. So oh, at No Way Out, The right. Undertaker defeated Batista, Finley, the great Kali, and MVP, and Big Daddy V in the Elimination Chamber to become the number one contender for Edge's World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania that year. So, so now uh, we're on to know. WrestleMania 24, which this would make yep. his 16th win? 16 and 0? I'm uh, double checking. Yep, 16 and 0 at WrestleMania 24 against Edge. I mean, this was I know at the Citrus Bowl, and this was for the World Heavyweight Championship, like you said. This is a 24 minute match, which Undertaker won via submission. So that was kind of a new thing as well. You know, we saw him whip out some of these MMA moves, but this is when he started to rely heavily on using Hell's Gate. Now, I know I praise a lot of Taker's matches, I mean, but again, this is another big one I would definitely recommend checking out. I think it's another one that a lot of people don't really talk about and is very underrated. And um, while it may not be Taker's best stuff, as we're going to see that his next WrestleMania match is probably one of the best ones that a lot of people refer to, it's still pretty, it's still pretty something worthy of, of, of checking out, in my opinion. And And not to... You know, forget either, but Edge reversed a shit ton of moves here in this match and did so beautifully. He reversed old school. He reversed the big boot that he threw out. He got out of the last ride. He escaped the Tombstone pile driver into the Impaler DDT and the Edgeomatic. You know, Edge was, you know, trying to use the camera as a weapon and, you know, it, it, it just, you see all this stuff. It's like, oh my God. And, and just, you see, uh, La Familia members and the Edgeheads interfered, and then Undertaker locked in Hell's Gate after being hit with Edge's finisher, the spear, and Edge would tap out for the second year in a row, and the Undertaker wins the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. So, And then just a very weird set of... I know I keep saying weird, but like again, when you spell this stuff out, it's just very bizarre. And did you know that it was supposed to be streak versus streak, like you said, is he was originally slated to win WrestleMania 23's Money in the Bank ladder match, but booking eventually shifted for Kennedy to win, and then he ended up with, with the briefcase anyways, so go figure. But then, dun, comes, dun, dun, dun. then comes the continuation of pretty much his feud with Edge uh, going from uh, now all the way, I mean, I'm trying to like go ahead and hear, I mean, it, it goes a while. I think it pretty much goes all the way up to um, I mean, realistically, if you want to talk about the 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 the, the feud with Edge all the way up until SummerSlam, but even that kind of yeah. it still goes a little bit further. But basically, in between that time, here's what goes down. I'm going to try and just recap this as best as I can. So we have them. Uh, Vicky, skip. Yeah, well, not skip. It's uh, <laughs> fast forward. So after Taker beats Edge for the World Championship at WrestleMania, they do have a rematch at Backlash, which of course Taker retains. Vicky Guerrero, who is, of course, Edge's love interest and the GM, then bans Undertaker's Hellgate submission hold and strip him of the yeah, title. he's not because... allowed to use that at all, which was, <laughs> you know, what a tag. I mean, it's, it's, again, I like that little simple stuff. Like, he, she's not doing anything too crazy, just banning the submission move. So she strips him of the title. They have a, they have a match one more time for the vacant championship, which <laughs> Taker wins by countout which I have to giggle a little bit at. Uh, Vicky then comes out and orders that the title remain vacant because the titles can't change the hands that way. And then they face each other again for the vacant title at one night stand in a TLC match, 
which Taker loses after interference from La Familia, and as a result of a part of the other stipulation, Taker has to leave WWE for about two months. Yeah, if that. <laughs> so basically, while this is all going on, Edge and Vicky Guerrero are having turmoil, are having turmoil between the two of each other. And because they split up, Vicky Guerrero basically reinstates Taker, and then, of course, it forces Edge to have a match with him at Hell in a Cell, in, uh, sorry, inside Hell in a Cell, at SummerSlam, which I kind of like this matchup a little bit better than the WrestleMania one. Yeah, I agree with you there. Especially the ending where basically Taker chokeslams him off of a ladder through the, through the ring. and Slams him right through the canvas. And presumably sets edges, uh, Edge on fire. I don't know how he did that, but hey, you know what? If he can get burned alive in the casket twice, Taker can cook us up some uh, edge kebabs. <laughs> so yeah, while I mean, this is right through the canvas, just a beautiful ending. But even though the Vicky Guerrero Edge romance seems to be burning up in flames, it's not the end of the Undertaker's rivalry with Vicky Guerrero, which is a very weird thing to say. After the match, Taker, um, oh, sorry, following this match, Eddie, uh, Vicky Guerrero tried making peace offering with Taker. But to, but Taker told her that he's not really a forgiving kind. So at Unforgiven, <laughs> see, play on words, Taker approached the ring to take Guerrero's soul and take her in a casket, but of course um, was attacked by the Big Show because why the hell not? We've done one before. What? Um, the Big Show betrayed someone and then turned heel in the same night? What? No. I know it's weird. What? It's, almost, it's almost like he flip flops a lot. It's it's a weird. I don't know. It's I, that doesn't what, though, seem right. Jake, that must Jake, be a mistake in our Jake, note. Jake, I'm sure he won't change sides ever again. I'm sure it's fine. All right, it's just so, a one time thing. As a result of this, now we have a feud with Taker and Show. They have a match at No Mercy. Show wins by knockout. Cyber Sunday. Taker uh, defeats Show in a last man standing match after choking him out with the, of course, the Hell's Gate. But at the same time, Taker was also having a very brief feud with Jeff Hardy who interfered with his match with Vladimir Kozlov. Hardy then defeated Undertaker in an Extreme Rules match following the week on SmackDown due to interference from the Big Show, which ultimately led to the Undertaker going on to face Big Show in a casket match at Survivor Series, and then again in a steel cage match by submission a week later to completely wrap the whole thing up. And it's funny, the only reason I'm going through this really quickly is because I actually remember I was actually at that Survivor Series. I was also in Boston, and Undertaker, like, Irish whipped Big Show into the casket. It was like something out of a freaking video game. Like, do you remember the old SmackDown games where you, like, you had to do that in order to put him in the casket? Yeah, you had to set it, him it was, up. It was exactly like that. It's like, okay, triangle, <laughs> R2, and he's in there. Beautiful. And he's in. So after that, we go to No Way Out of 2009, and Taker was, of course, once again part of the WWE Championship Elimination Chamber match, along with Jeff Hardy, Triple H, Big Show, Vladimir Kozlov, and Edge. However, was unsuccessful um, and ultimately losing to the runner-up Triple H. He then became embroiled in a very long-time feud with an old friend-slash-enemy-slash-frenemy, slash, enemy, slash frenemy, and ultimately leading to a match at WrestleMania 25, which is a lot of people's favorite Undertaker streak match against a lot of people's Shawn favorite Michaels. wrestling match of all time. Yeah, I mean I, this this is the number one ranked Undertaker match of all time. I have my list of the top twenty, top ten, both moments and matches, and it's hard. This to argue. is number one. This you know some people do like the the follow up better, but I, I'm I'm torn between which one is my favorite. But this is just as true as iconic can be 
you know, the year later we see him saying, I'll see you at WrestleMania, your streak, your title, your soul will be mine. But this was, you know, the, the, the buildup was so perfect. You see, you know, Sean at the, the graveyard, you know, with all the tombstones and coming out in pure white, like all of it was just so perfect. Just so emotionally charged, so dramatic and filled with emotion. It really just it felt real. It really did. So, you know, The Undertaker (laughs) really pulled out all the stops, unlike we've ever seen before. I mean, Sean as well, but there's a reason he had the streak, and then they call him Mr. WrestleMania. I I like what Jim Ross said. What more could you ask for as a wrestling fan? Uh, So true here. The Undertaker's eyes tell a better story than we could ever. (laughs) I mean, The Undertaker attempts the suicide dive on the outside, and Sean pulls the cameraman in the way, and the Undertaker lands really odd on his neck. And I mean, using all four of his finishers, he had the tombstone, the last ride, the choke slam, Hell's Gate. He could not, you know, put Sean away. And, and like you said, you know, that, that famous line, the wide eyed look of sadness and desperation on his face after Michaels kicked out of the tombstone pile driver again. Uh, people said that was a snapshot of the heart and passion that was on display at the spectacle. And then Sean makes a great comeback. He hits the sweet chin music. Taker kicks out. And then Sean goes for a top rope moonsault. And the Undertaker catches him, Connor, midair, turns it into a tombstone pile driver to win the match. Show stealing and instant classic do not do justice to this bout. I mean, this is hailed as the greatest in WrestleMania history for a reason. If you have not seen this, Go watch it. If you have seen it, go watch it again. I don't think uh, I can say anything to make it, to, to give it justice. Legit, I think that's the best way I can say it right now. There's nothing I can say. You, you, if you have not seen this match, as much as I appreciate the love and support of you guys listening to us, stop this. Pause it. We'll be here. Go and watch it now. Trust me. Just trust me on that. That's probably going to be one of the rare times to tell you to stop listening to us and go watch a match. Um, it, Taker would take some time off though after this. Um, by the way, um, yet again, one, even though it's not Christmas, we're on a we're on a streak here. One thing I did want to mention real fast before we get to that though is I think this is also the first time someone's ever kicked out of the tombstone. Um, I could be wrong. I probably am. I I think I think there was a few kickouts before that with Batista and Edge. So really, they kicked out of the tombstone. I I, I know one of them definitely did. Wow, I'll have to go back and figure that out. Well, you guys can let us know in the comments or on social media. Um, I might be crazy, but I know no, I might, you, seen you it. Prob- you probably are right. Um, but Taker would have one quick match with Big Show on SmackDown and then take some time off until his return at SummerSlam. So now we're into uh, SummerSlam 2009. And he comes back at SummerSlam by attacking some really brightly tattooed colored young hippie with the World Heavyweight Championship known as CM Punk. So Chick Magnet Punk apparently went ahead and caused uh, some issues backstage. He ruffled some feathers. From what I heard, this wasn't initially planned to happen as a feud as as much as they had you know thought out. But The Undertaker and a few others had basically noted that Punk was not wearing a suit to media events and you know didn't carry himself like a champion. Mm-hmm. And Punk took uh, you know offense to this statement from The Undertaker giving him kind of, you know, a bit of lip back at him for this. And that's what led to the quick beatdown at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view later on. So, 
I mean, just a I bit like, of conjecture there, but <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I like you know, Punk just came off a very hot feud with Jeff Hardy. Um, so at Breaking Point, they had a match between Taker and Punk. It was a submission match because Breaking Point was one of those weird pay-per-views where there was a gimmick pay-per-view. It didn't. I think there was only one, right? There was only one Breaking Point pay-per-view. I think so. Yeah, and they added in the stipulations as it was. It was kind of like a Cyber Sunday feel, but not voted. It was. It was weird and. The Undertaker wins with Hell's Gate, you know, in the submission match. But then Teddy Long comes out and says, oh, that band's still in effect from Vicky Guerrero. So Punk goes and uses his Anaconda Vice. Well, and Scott Armstrong calls for the bell. But The Undertaker never tapped out. So we have another Montreal screw job on our hands. Yeah. And I love the way that this was handled. I, I know some people were against it, but I thought that scott armstrong did really well here by you know eventually he's like oh no i thought i saw you tap and then he sells theodore long out and uh, the undertaker stalks teddy for quite a while and (laughs) kidnaps him in in his limo like where to yeah you know it just so so many classic moments with this and uh Theodore Long eventually lifts the band after being released from a casket the Undertaker had placed him in. So, you know, kidnaps him and <laughs> beats the hell out of him. Then we lead into the, uh, you know, and that's the thing, CM Punk really takes a back seat in the meantime to Teddy Long and, and the Screwjob storyline as well. So that's, that's something else to know. So Punk goes ahead and faces the Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, and the Undertaker won the championship from Punk very quickly. He defended the title against CM Punk on SmackDown successfully in a fatal four-way match at bragging rights against Punk, Batista, and Rey Mysterio, and then in a triple threat match against Chris Jericho and Big Show at Survivor Series. So things yep. are moving. He's still got the belt, and things are working well. The Undertaker is on a friggin' roll here. I mean, he's having very high-profile matches. He's, you know, defeated HBK at Mania 25. He faces Batista at TLC for the championship. And when and he won when the match was restarted by Teddy Long after Batista had originally won, utilizing a low blow. So now Teddy Long's on the Undertaker's side. Then the Undertaker competes in a tournament to crown the 2009 Superstar of the Year. He lost to Randy Orton by countout in the first round after a distraction by Orton's protégés Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. So which legacy s- comes into effect. But. Which sadly won't go anywhere. The one thing I just wanted to kind of really quick go back was you know, about the whole thing about him beating Punk for the World Championship. I remember it was a weird night because that was the opening match of the pay-per-view. It, it was, really was. It was a 10-minute opening match for the World Championship, Taker and CM Punk. I have never, never seen Undertaker open a pay-per-view. To my knowledge, he has never opened yeah, a pay-per-view. Even when he was debuting and starting. And nope. That... And also, they said that was in efforts to punish Punk for his comments. He wasn't right. going to be the main event as the champion. And then they also, if you notice, Punk didn't get in any offense in that match. He just got beat up. Yep. Now, flash And the Undertaker to- laid some stiff shots as well, so. Right. Now, flash forward to, now we're into the Rumble, Royal Rumble 2010. Now, there's a couple things I want to mention this before we keep going. Taker's still champion, but at the same time, Shawn Michaels has made it public that he wants a rematch at WrestleMania, that he knows he can beat The Undertaker. And so while... Yeah, he's saying that it was just a a one mistake that took his his chance to end the streak. That one moonsault, that one moment, 
and he knows what he has to do. He's the only one that can do it after everybody and all the streaks still standing. He knows what has to be done to defeat The Undertaker. He's looked in his eyes. He sees his weakness. He can take his soul. So uh, Michaels challenges Taker to a match at WrestleMania. Taker refuses. So obviously with Taker being champion. Multiple times, too. Yeah. With Michael, with Taker obviously refusing, Michael says, I have to, I have no choice. I know what I got to do. I got to win the Royal Rumble. So Michaels loses the Royal Rumble match, but Taker successfully defends the championship uh, at the Royal Rumble against Rey Mysterio. And then comes, in my opinion, a very interesting pay per view, the Elimination Chamber pay per view. Interesting for good and bad reasons. For two, yeah, for two reasons. The first is Taker's entrance. Oh and, my god! This and, this was on me. I I wasn't able to watch this live because obviously the network wasn't still there, and I couldn't afford it at this time. So I had a stream that I was actually watching, and uh, it died out for the main event. So I didn't get to see this match, and I saw the next morning that it was on national news that oh, superstar burned during entrance, and I was like, what is this? The Undertaker comes out onto the stage and suffers you know, terrible burns when there's a pyrotechnic malfunction and it engulfs the undertaker in flames on three occasions during his ring entrance. He ends up uh, with second degree burns on his chest and neck that looked like a bad sunburn. You can see throughout the match. He goes down, he gets into his pod and has the medical staff keep bringing him water. And he just continually keeps dousing himself in water and he continues the entire match. So Jericho, who was in the match with him the longest and ultimately does win the world championship from him, uh, was talking about how like he had to deal with that the entire time. Like he was the last one out. It wasn't like he was the first one in, the first one like a quick no. He had to suffer that entire time. And uh that's just crazy. Yeah, basically what happened was when Taker was coming out, the pyro that you, you normally see with the flames literally came up right on top of him. And they actually said that if it in wasn't the middle, for that was the last time they had the flames come up the middle yep. too. And they actually said that if, or I think Jericho mentioned that if Taker had not wet his hair and was wearing a trench coat, it would be a lot worse situation. Yeah. The fact that, you know, that was the way it worked out. It was a blessing in disguise. So, so that being his said, hair would, would have singed off. That was the bad. So this is, this is one of my favorite, elimination chamber moments i think of all time i i i was just in awe when i was finally able to see it the day after and just i don't think there's been anything with this much emotion that that can you know compel me as much as this had sean michaels is a man possessed he cannot get to the Undertaker at WrestleMania. He tried like hell and valiantly fought through many opponents at the Rumble, but he gets eliminated. He's just in full despair on the outside of the ring, ripping apart, you know, his soul that he can't face the Undertaker, challenges him again. He still says no. So Sean hides underneath the ring at the Elimination Chamber match, lifts up the grate, comes out and super kicks the Undertaker, costing him the title at the Elimination Chamber. Now, this was the first time ever wow. that someone had interfered in the chamber itself. So, you know, before him, it was like, well, there's no way anybody can get in or out. I mean, granted, years later, we see, like, multiple people coming in multiple times. <laughs> yeah, um, they so really... this was the first, and it was just so genius, and it was so clever, and also showed that obsessive side of Shawn Michaels, which was really a very interesting little 
um, you know, just a little little uh, garnish on this whole dish that how great it was. And as we mentioned, you know, uh, this would ultimately lead into their rematch. It would be a rematch at WrestleMania 26. This time, though, it was, you know, Sean had, had challenged Taker and he accepted. However, Taker said on one condition, if you lose, you must retire. And it's interesting because I've talked to a bunch of people and said, like, you know, which is your favorite match? And, and you're right. For the most part, a lot of people say that WrestleMania 25 was better. But sometimes I do get a surprising amount of people who actually liked the 26 one better, if for only because that the stakes were higher. There was actually more story yeah. going into it. So it's a tough it call. It really was. I mean, the story for the first one was just, you know, the point of the match. This was, this was it, you know, either yeah. your WrestleMania or your career. And one last note, too, uh, about the Elimination Chamber match. The pyrotechnician who was responsible, oh, yeah, he got they, fired. they rushed him out of the arena after it had happened they got him the hell out of there i think the story because goes like they were afraid that the undertaker was going to kill him well i think the story was like vince went to taker and said like i'm not going to do anything i'm not mad but i don't want to see that guy ever again and vince let him go he fired him yeah vince yep. you know it says at the behest of the undertaker he was relieved from his employment but i i had always heard you know and jericho has said on multiple occasions how they told him, you know, he he ran out of the arena. He felt god awful. I mean, it was an accident, but they were afraid that the Undertaker was going to, you know, just destroy this poor man. <laughs> I wouldn't blame them. Not at all. So, so now we get to WrestleMania. I mean, here we are we're at WrestleMania 26 in a streak versus career match, and uh, this this rivals the first one. You know, their first meeting. Undertaker main evented WrestleMania, you know, before, and it's like, wow, you know, but here we go. This is this is massive. And after hiatus, you know, we we we, we see them, you know, pretty much in their prime at this point. It's like these two are better than than ever before. And after the match they gave us at twenty five, you're like, there's no way they can top it. And I, I they did in many ways, you know. It, it was just an incredible match. It, it's it, that's why I said it's very interesting that when I ask people who which match they like better, it's a, it's it's more twenty five than twenty six. But there's a lot of people who support twenty six being better than twenty five. It's yeah, very I mean, interesting. Top row, you the whole setup too. I mean, Undertaker towards the end is on the outside, and he, you know he gets hit by the sweet chin music, and the super kick takes him down. The Undertaker's laying over the broadcast table, and Sean performs this top rope moonsault, like, you know, descending from the heavens, puts him through the table, breaking the table. Uh, you know, then he kicks out of the tombstone pile driver, and then he slaps the Undertaker. Leader Taker like, flips him over and executes <laughs> a jumping tombstone pile driver. So emphatic, so powerful, and just so emotional because. You know, it was an end of an era. It really was. Up until this year, Sean had not competed again. He stayed true to his word and would not come out of retirement out of respect for The Undertaker. So just right. what a moment, what a match, what a, what a you know, a, a send-off as well. The crowd erupts in tears. Uh, you know, not only are they elated after seeing The Undertaker's streak stay intact because they're they're both faces, essentially. You know, they're both heroes, and, and the crowd was so split, it was amazing. And I think it was the it was it was the, for the first time in a while, 
that we had not seen a title match of the main event of WrestleMania. This closed out the Mania, which I thought was also interesting. Um, which, rightfully so, given the history of both these guys and the Michaels who go in the Hall of Fame next the year after. I mean, just whew, so much emotion. So much raw emotion. But Taker's year was very... Um, this is another weird one. You know, I, I, we, I don't think he had a good 2002. I don't think he had a good 2005. I don't think a 2010 was a really good one either because this is kind of the beginning where Taker's pretty much done with championships at this point. At this going yeah, forward, and he's, he's being used more sparsely now right. as well. Um, so at this point, Taker is now going to lean more on the part-time side. So hopefully this means for you listening, we're going to breeze through some years pretty damn quickly. Good thing, too, because we just hit the two-and-a-half-hour mark. So there you go. Um, so It after, should be more than that at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, if you count part one, we're going almost five hours. So anywho... Woo. So anywho, uh, after the match at WrestleMania, he does take he does have a couple matches on Raw, but he does come back uh, to qualify for the Fatal Four Way pay per view in a Fatal Four Way match for the World Heavyweight Championship, beating Rey Mysterio. However, in this match, he gets destroyed. He gets a concussion, a broken orbital bone, and a broken nose, and was bleeding like crazy on camera at the end of the match. So yeah, obviously. Just- Profusely bleeding. So he obviously needed to take some more time off. So in order to cover for that injury, Kane, <laughs> his brother, revealed to that Undertaker had been found in a vegetative state. Oh. So Mysterio ended up taking his place. In, yeah, I know. it's Dude, how much crap have we gone through in this? And I mean, I know we're, we're, what, 2010. We still got, like, I think eight more years to go through. And just the absurdity of just the absurdity of everything he has to go through. It really is crazy. From a creative from a creative standpoint. I mean Yeah, just, it, just, it's just nuts. So it, now Mysterio takes his place and he wins the uh, heavyweight championship. And while attempting to learn which wrestler had attacked the Undertaker, Kane defeats Mysterio to win the title himself. So now Kane's a champion. And they continue to clash as they accuse one another of being the assailant behind the attack. And at SummerSlam, the Undertaker returns to confront Kane and Mysterio, only to be attacked with a tombstone pile driver by Kane. Kane is revealed as the attacker. The two feuded for the next few months over the title. And after losing to Kane at Night of Champions, Paul Bear returns as the Undertaker's manager on an episode of SmackDown. Then Bear turns on him at Hell in a Cell to help Kane win once again. And the feud ends at bragging rights when the Nexus helped Kane defeat Undertaker in a Buried Alive match. Which again would go nowhere. Yet again, Buried Alive. Undertaker was originally booked to beat Kane, but needed surgery for a torn rotator cuff, causing him to be written off for Christmas. (laughs) Maybe we should make Ho, 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 Undertaker. Maybe we should make an Undertaker Santa Claus t-shirt. Just in we time. Really for, need to just in time for the holidays. Him sipping mai tais next to a Christmas tree, you know. Oh, no, it's got to be out of a skull <laughs> glass. It has to be a skull glass. <laughs> so, oh, my God. we get the 2011 rumble to happen. Still no sign of the Undertaker, but then we see a cabin in the woods. Oh, I remember and this. Very crap. ominous. We hear Johnny Cash's "Ain't No Grave" playing. We see a Western style, you know, kind of a theme to this all. And the promo ends every time with the date saying 2-21-11 being burned into the screen. And then The Undertaker on February 21st, 2011 returns. But before he could speak, 
comes to the ring, Triple H confronts him, and they're challenging each other to a match at WrestleMania 27. They make this match no holds barred, and The Undertaker will now face Triple H to continue the streak. This matchup was okay, you know, and, and this, this was now the streak's in full force. Now Taker's matches are all about the streak, where, I mean, obviously the ones with yeah, Michael's... extremely prominent. Yeah, well, obviously the ones with Michael's were too, but, I mean, it's interesting because these are, you know, now we're in the series of, like, and even Taker's gone on record and say that these are the best four WrestleMania matches of his career, you know, the two with Sean and then the two with Hunter. Yeah. Um, this one Triple H was, vows. He's like, I'm going to do what my best friend Sean couldn't do. You know, that was that was basically what was uh, the, the mainstay of this match. That was the theme around. It was good stuff, too. And I do remember the build going into this. And as far as the match itself, it's interesting because, you know, had Sean and Taker, Sean and Taker's matches were were wrestling classics. Like we just said, we can't put them over enough. You look at the Triple H ones, and I definitely feel like there was more of a brawl style to this one. Yeah, especially they, the one they went for less of a technical aspect and more of a physical nature. I mean, even when you look to the ending, you know, Triple H is in the Hell's Gate submission, and he's reaching for the sledgehammer, goes to use it, and then passes out before he could tap out. You know, he kind of like taps and, and drops at the same time, so... And this is the first time The Undertaker, legitimately, in all truth, could not walk out of the arena. All the chair shots that he took, I mean, I think they were fined for those. No, or is that the next year? What, you know, that he, the, that he got, t- got taken out of a stretcher? No, they, they were fined for the chair shots. I know oh, one of the yeah, two no, years. That, no, that was, that was this one. That was this one. because Okay, yeah, they um, were fined for the chair shots to the head, and yeah. they were very gratuitous, and they weren't allowed. I mean, this is a 30-minute bout, and... You know, with the no holds barred rules, they they kicked the hell out of each other. They they kicked out of each other's finishing moves multiple times, and you know, like I said, ending with the Hell's Gate on Triple H was was a a, a smart move. I mean, you 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 saw Triple H defiant to the end, trying to grab the, the sledgehammer and work his way out of it, but couldn't. And the Undertaker had to be stretchered to the back by paramedics, so it was a sight to see. They took him back with the cart and. He was unable to to walk out on his own, you know, volition. That was an interesting way to end it, where even though Taker got the win, he couldn't leave on his own power. And so, all of the obviously that would fuel going into next year. So we wouldn't see or hear Undertaker whatsoever for ten months, which is yeah, I think we got one of the nothing from him, which is one of the longest times he's been out in terms of this time frame. So we jump from yeah WrestleMania and 20- to add this, he's now twenty and zero. So. No, this one that's nineteen. Twenty is is. Oh, that is okay. That's nineteen. Yeah. I thought he was twenty and zero at that point. No, it, it, that's the Hell in a Cell one. So, um, oh, yep, you're right. Good so, thing you're here. <laughs> thank God for mathematics, um, Jenna. So, Jenna, at, at it's a long night, folks. Um, so at this point, we haven't seen him for ten months. Comes back on January thirtieth, two thousand twelve. So we're talking. Last time we saw him was 2011, WrestleMania 27. It's now 2012, and he confronts Triple H, basically wanting a rematch at WrestleMania to avenge his, well, I don't want to say avenge his loss, avenge his victory, which is a weird way to say yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was was an odd but uh, poignant message that he was trying to convey here. He really wanted to get across that he was torn up inside, that he wasn't able to walk out of his own strength and power, and... To him, that was just as much as losing. Though the streak was intact, he felt inadequate and that he underperformed. So he wanted to 
you know, he wanted to be fully victorious and and leave in his own power. And the vignettes that they had, you see the Undertaker like hacking away his hair and watching the match over and over and over and watching yeah, the conclusion. Shit, yeah. You know, they really hammered home the point that this was uh, almost a, a you know a, a maddening for him that he was so obsessed with the conclusion that even though he won, he felt like he lost. Now the I will say this: I thought the build for this one and the story and the drama, not only the the build going into it, but the payoff was 20 times better than the WrestleMania 27 one. I mean, granted, if that was their plan, it fucking worked. But And and obviously, Triple H and Taker kind of sell themselves. But man, the drama and story going into this because Taker, you know, keeps poking and prodding Hunter. He's in the suit now. He's corporate. He doesn't want to deal with it. He doesn't want to – he knows that he has to end Taker in order to beat him. And Taker says, you know – Sean's better than you, and uh, yeah, he really goads uh, and forces Taker into this match. I mean, like you said, the storytelling is miles ahead of what we got previously, and all the times Triple H rejects the offer, finally, you know, like you said, bringing up Sean and, and Triple H's failures and shortcomings, he triggers Triple H into agreeing to the end of an era match, and they bring in. HBK as the special guest referee. If this is going to go out, then they want, you know, someone that can handle all the chaos and, it's and they make it for hell in a cell. Absolutely. The cell even has its own entrance music at WrestleMania. That's how <laughs> epic this is. It's true. The memory uh, remains. As the cell drops era. down with the smoke and fire. Oh, fucking brutal. It was, I, I'd say like, honestly, um, in my opinion, if you were to look at all the WrestleMania matches of the streak, this one, in my opinion, is the best one. I, I put this above Sean. I honestly do. Really? See, yeah. I, I would put Sean, then this one. Yeah, uh, so then I would switched. go CM Punk. But, you know, it. this one would be a very, very close second to first for me. You know, like it, it's it's only a, a you know point one away. But so good here. And <laughs> talk about you know upping the damage they beat 16 consecutive chair shots by triple h in this match 16 the match was littered with weapons i mean they were slamming each other on the steel steps you know triple h hits a spine buster undertaker who then gets him locked into hell's gates and then he slams him again in the steel steps then uh we had the 16 consecutive chair shots by triple h i think that's again when they were fine then we get the sledgehammer shot to the skull, all while Undertaker instructed Michaels not to stop the match. I mean, that was maddening. I mean, you're just out of breath. You can't believe what you're seeing. And then Michaels is checking uh, on the Undertaker. Undertaker locks him in Hell's Gate, leaving him out cold. Now Charles Robinson ran down to the ring after Undertaker hit a choke slam on Triple H, but could only make a two count from the time that it took the referee to get into the ring. And then uh, he was on the receiving end of a choke slam himself. So Michaels recovers and he hits Undertaker with sweet chin music. And then Triple H hits him with a pedigree. And I'm like, there we go. The streak's over. End of an era. One, two, and the Undertaker kicks out. And that was both my favorite. Oh, that, that was, was your favorite. That was my favorite part because when you do, when Sean does the, the, the sweet chin music and Triple H does the pedigree, and then he kicks out. Sean like backs into the turnbuckle corner and just puts his hands over his mouth and it just has this look of like, oh crap. Yeah, just it, pure it was, dis oh, like you have to kill him to put him down. It was and Triple H even has his tongue out at one point for the pinfall. Like 
that was it. That was the end. And they couldn't do it. They would have to kill him to put him down. And both men traded finishers again for near falls. Then the Undertaker delivers his own series of chair shots on Triple H, just batters the hell out of his back, his head, his side. And then Undertaker lines him up, hits the tombstone, and it's it's praised as one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. While Triple H says it's his favorite match of his career. The three of them embrace in a hug, and Triple H is then lifted up and carried out by Sean and Undertaker. They go to the top of the ramp, they wave goodbye, and it was truly the end of an era until Saudi blood money came into <laughs> the equation. God damn it. I, I, I'm not looking forward to talking about that. It'll be a brief footnote. But, um, yeah, so, man, but wish... what a match. Amazing. And it, I really think it is one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches. Because as far as matches go, like, yeah, Mick Foley going through the cell and off the cell and all that. That is that no one will ever top that. But those are spots that that wasn't really like a match. If you know what I mean, and it's it's mm-hmm. it's a bit hard to define. But this this was a street fight mixed with wrestling, mixed with amazing storytelling, just unparalleled. No argument for me on that one. Yeah. Uh, again, this would be, but again, going back to after this, again, the timing between Taker. Kind of, this is kind of where we now start to get takers. I don't want to say it's not a negative reputation, it's just a reputation of basically coming up mainly for WrestleManias. Uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be featured as prominently. He was kind of coming back for a couple of guest appearances, like just for like special events. So in this case, between these two, yeah, you had like you know, tri yearly appearances, it seemed like. Right. So between the next two, like between this WrestleMania and WrestleMania 29, we did have him show up just briefly for the 1000th episode of Raw to kind of help Kane. So they did a Brother of the Destruction bit. But the next major TV appearance wouldn't be until an old school episode of Monday Night Raw on March 4th, 2013. March 4th. So almost a full freaking year uh, where he opened the show doing his entrance with the WrestleMania 29 logo behind him, which ultimately led to a fatal four way between Sheamus, Big Show, Randy Orton and CM Punk to see who would get the right to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania 29, which to my knowledge is the first time that that's happened. I mean, obviously, people have chosen to fight Taker for the title. I, I only remembered it as Punk saying because he lost his title to The Rock. And he's like, if I can't have that, then I want the Undertaker. That's how I remember Which that he going did. down. He did say that, but he actually had to win the match, though, too. Yeah, see, I didn't even remember the match. Yeah. Now, obviously, a lot of people remember this rivalry with CM Punk and Undertaker going into WrestleMania 29. For two main reasons. The first being the match itself, which we'll get to. But the second, of course, is the fact that, unfortunately... Um, William Moody, the person who the real-life portrayal of Paul Bearer, passed away not too long prior to this. And they decided to incorporate the real-life death of Paul Bearer as Paul Bearer died literally the night, the next night. See, it's kind of weird how that again, happened. They don't, they don't shy away from real-life, you know, <laughs> issues and, and discrepancies. And here here they go, you know, this man who, who lived and breathed wrestling passes away. And they turn it into an angle. You know, we've seen them do it time and time again. That's why it was so unfortunate with Muhammad Hassan that it didn't work out. But... You know, the Undertaker's out in the ring, down on one knee. They're having a ceremony to honor Paul Bear on Raw. And CM Punk steals the trademark urn and, you know, interrupts the, the, the funeral, you know, the, the, the wake, if you want to call it, you know, the, the honoring of Paul Bear and just being blatantly disrespectful. He tries to spite the Undertaker at 
every single turn. He even has uh, Paul Heyman, who is the advocate to CM Punk at that point in time, is before he, he's with uh, Brock Lesnar again. He goes ahead and has him dress up like Paul Bearer, you know, just being blatantly disgustingly disrespectful and it's working punk is the the biggest heel in the business at this point um you know punk beats the undertaker with the urn and dumps the ashes all over him covering himself and like basically an effigy at that point like dousing himself in the ashes talking about how he's being reborn and you know he, he uh just attacked kane with them and it was just everything to mock paul bear and get under the undertaker's skin and it all led to WrestleMania 29. You know, the Undertaker's 20-0 at this point, wants to be 21-0. And this is the first time I genuinely felt like someone could end the streak. Really? I, I, the way Punk was built up and the summer of Punk, the 400-plus day title reign, um, how, how prominent he was with everything the pipe bomb promo i just i felt like if anybody's going to take the streak away he's the Hmm. guy interesting thought he was the first one that i viewed as being capable and credible enough and that would have a a genuine push from it as well because he had such a massively long title reign which wasn't a great reign when you look back at it it really wasn't it was long but it wasn't the best reign no and i feel like this would would really like be the ultimate elevation to his career uh i mean i'm sure taker will never lose a mania so we don't have to worry about that but um but but this uh this to me was the match of the night for wrestlemania like i remember wrestlemania 29 very clear and i remember that this was in my opinion, the match of the night. There was no other. You mean match it wasn't the Rock and Cena two twice in a lifetime? No, I, I actually. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One of my first T-shirts I ever designed for myself back when I was doing horrible graphic design was I put "Okay, Fabe." It said instead of "once in a lifetime," I crossed out the word "once" and put "occasionally in a lifetime." <laughs> That's great. So we got a 22-minute match here. Uh, we, we, you know, we see Punk deliver the Macho Man elbow drop from the top rope onto the Undertaker, who is draped over the Spanish announce table. Undertaker not only survives this, but you know, Punk hit Undertaker with the urn containing the ashes of Paul Bear, and you know, gets hit with everything but the kitchen sink. And then the Undertaker reverses Punk's GTS finishing move and hits a tombstone of his own to mark the final victory in the streak. Dun, 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 dun. Thinking at 21 and 0. Jesus. But here's the weird thing. So they do that. And then this is so weird. You know, thinking back, especially now, doing this like second part, right? Um, it's very weird that this to me is that this has happened multiple times. Where Taker gets involved in a rivalry or sets something up that ends up going nowhere. Like, I feel like that's happened several times now where they set something up with Taker and somebody. It's and happened just, many, many, many times where it, it has happens. this huge, huge build. And then all of a sudden, you know, pretty big build. And then they have a match, sometimes not even that. And then it just disappeared. Like Kali, like um, the Nexus. And then even Hogan and then things with Angle before yeah. that. Like You know, there were certain stages and. You know, it happened with Austin at one point. It happened with The Rock. It happened with Triple H. You know, they they just, you get these huge builds and one match and then he's gone. I mean, maybe they had feuds again later on, but it even happened briefly with Jericho. So, 
And it sort of happened here after WrestleMania 29. Now, I say sort of because they actually did have a match for this, or, well, kind of sort of. Let me explain. So after WrestleMania 29, Taker came out on Raw to pay his respects to Paul Bear, but is interrupted by The Shield, who attempted to attack Taker. And then, of course, Team Hell No, Kane and Daniel Bryan come out to make the save. I did laugh a little bit because it was kind of like, Brian wanted to make sure it was called Team Hell No and The Undertaker, not The Brothers of Destruction and Daniel Bryan, because they wanted to talk yeah. to him. I thought it was yeah, funny. The brothers of Destruction. <laughs> so for the first time in three years, Taker actually wrestled his first match on Raw, teaming with Kane and Bryan against The Shield in a six-man tag and a losing effort. And then the same week on SmackDown, um, he actually fought Dean Ambrose and beat him um, by submission, but then the rest of The Shield just completely dismantled him, triple-bowed yeah, they... him through a table, and that was the end of that. Ooh. So weird. But then... Big dog. But then, oh no, we're gonna get to him. But then we jump, <laughs> we jump forward to, and, and this is something I can't wait to talk with Jake about. We go, we jump ahead to February twenty fourth, two thousand fourteen, where the Undertaker returned to confront and accept the challenge for WrestleMania against one Brock Lesnar. Now, I'm not even gonna talk about the build really because there the really build wasn't... was pretty good for them. I mean, there wasn't much to it, but for what there was, I I liked it. And the pen through the hand. It, yeah, that, you know, and then putting him to the table. And, I mean, there was just a certain uh, uh, feel to it that made it feel larger than life. But I did not think it was going to be the end of the streak. I, I really was barely even, like, watching the match. I remember I was on Twitter, like, just half haphazardly paying attention to this because I didn't feel like Lesnar stood a chance. This was so surreal for so many reasons, obviously. And I think one of the big things, and one thing that I've asked people of, and and one of the reasons why it was a shocking moment besides the obvious was the fact that this build was like any other build at Mania. And I think at this point... Yes, it didn't have any special gravitas towards it. We've seen him and Sean do the career versus streak angle. I mean, that was the biggest you could have. He retired Sean freaking Michaels. And with this, it was just very, I don't want to say lackluster, but just just run-of-the-mill. It didn't yeah, have anything special to it. Yeah. And not even just that, but, I mean, there's so much speculation. The streak ended, and, and the arena was dead silent for about, what, eight seconds before they announced the, you know, the Undertaker had lost. People didn't even realize that the match was over. The bell rings, and people are just in denial and shock i heard the bell go off and i was like no wait what and then paul Heyman's, you know you did it you did freaking out i mean that is classic but it it was one of those things where you know when we especially like me and jake and and like joe and and others who like review wrestling or so entrenched with it and we like to know all the things behind the scenes and to get as much details and everything you know we thought it was a botch i don't know about you but i thought like like legit they fucked up and i was i still kind of feel that way well, I, I got some interesting little things. There's a lot. I, I'm sure there's a lot more we can dissect on the streak, but I'm going to try and try to keep it as abridged as possible. But um, it, it, that's the thing I think that really was awesome about it was that, you know, you heard the bell ring. You heard Michael Cole say the streak is over and you hear nothing. You don't hear anything from the crowd. You don't hear anything from, well, I mean, besides Heyman screaming his Jew head off. Um, <laughs> Heyman's going nuts, but the crowd is silent. Crowd There's is no silent. music playing yet. There's the no announcer. Nothing, like I said, nothing, nothing, just silence. And the so, air is taken out of the arena. It, it was surreal because for a second, like, wait, did this, did this just happen? Or was this, no, they messed up. Was it a three count? That like, right there was what made me feel like it was a mistake for a long time. And then when the announcer said, here's your winner of the match, Brock Lesnar, and it sunk in and we're like, 
I can't believe this happened. I, I will honestly say I've never, you know, there's so many things to complain about wrestling. As At the time of this recording, a lot of people are complaining about, you know, um, Kofi Kingston and, and, and the Mania build and all that stuff going into WrestleMania 35. I don't think I will ever see, as far as in the wrestling community, uh, the outrage that people had for Taker losing the streak. Yeah, there there really was no justifiable reason to lose the streak. And especially, I know a lot of people say, oh, you just hate Brock. Yeah, but that's besides the point. Yeah. I, I didn't feel like that was the right choice at all. I don't feel like Brock gained anything from winning the streak, honestly, you know, defeat de- or conquering the streak. I, I feel like they could have had every, him do everything he did without defeating Undertaker. It's and a double. It's a double-edged yeah, sword for me. I, I mean, I can see both sides of the fence, but it's so hard to accept. Not just because, oh, he's one of my favorites and, and the greatest of all time, but it, it genuinely just felt unnecessary. And there's so much behind the scenes that you're not sure of. I mean, The Undertaker was so severely concussed so early on. I mean, the match was was bad. It was a bad match, and that's because the Undertaker yeah. was so on of it. He didn't know where he was. He was concussed within minutes of the match. Yeah, I think it was three minutes in. He suffered. I mean, McMahon even left WrestleMania to go to the hospital. You know, and and yeah. they they said here McMahon's reasoning was that it would significantly enhance Lesnar's formability to set up the next WrestleMania event, and that there were no other viable candidates left to fill Lesnar's role. Which, to Vince's credit, I mean, he's right. If that's, what his, right. if that's what his goal was, yeah, he's right. It, it's just Taker's exception to Lesnar posting about in the streak. You know, it, it's like, uh, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, like you said, Lesnar's music was not played for a few minutes while the cameraman continued to highlight the reaction to the stunned crowd. Paul Heyman screaming his eyes out, and, you know, it just... I don't know. It, it, that's what made it feel like it was bigger than the Montreal screw job, the most shocking result since then. And you said, you know, fans didn't just object to this. I mean, they, they came out in droves to, to, they said it was, you know, the most uh, ruining of childhood <laughs> moments ever. Stone Cold even was puzzled about the decision to terminate the streak. Now, interestingly enough, Heyman did this very thing where he threw out a conspiracy theory fuck with people's heads, and he yeah. did. Did you see the thing? He, you know what I'm yes. talking about? Yeah, that, that uh, you can go ahead and explain it. But Yeah, and I have to say, this is why, why, I, love, this is why I love Heyman so much, because he loves to just stir shit. Uh, he mentions how he, he throws out the theory of what if Brock just decided to end the streak on his own? What if it, like, that wasn't the plan? And Brock that just he went, went into up. business for himself. Yeah. And but Heyman's like, who's gonna stop him? Like, what are you gonna do? Fire him? They just they just killed Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania. He's the hottest thing right now. Are they really gonna go ahead and let him yeah. go? And just I'm like, whether or not he, I mean I think he's BSing, but at the same time it's like, man, that fits a lot of narratives pretty damn well. It really does because the Undertaker is terribly concussed. He can't focus, and Brock thinks if I take him out right now. I get the three count there, you know, they can't fire me because I defeated the streak. They need me. I'm, I'm untouchable. And then look at the position Brock got put in after this. Look at the size of his contract. Now mm-hmm. look at everything. I mean, it adds up. It certainly makes sense. And then it says here, you know, and I've, I've heard this before. The undertaker was shocked by the decision to end the streak, but willingly participated since he wanted to give back to the business. He agreed to do it, but he was not 
a fan of it. And I'm, I, mean, I would love to hear the truth. I mean, I, I don't think we'll ever hear anything definitive. Well, I don't but. know about that. I think I think once Taker's ready to talk, I think he'll talk. I, I think that once I think once everything is all said and done, because I mean, there's so maybe much more years down the road. I just have a hard time, you know, thinking of him going against McMahon, really. Well, I think they have a He's mutual so respect wild. for each other. But in any case, but let's get to because um, we've only got a few more years left. And then there's actually a good chunk with Lesnar. So holy crap. So, yeah, after um, after you know, that, we don't, show- we don't know how to handle it, but the streak is over. We are we are destroyed and deeply sad. And so you think that we're never going to see the Undertaker at WrestleMania again until next year, where he literally comes to, uh, well, he gets challenged by Mr. Bray Wyatt. Now, I think the reason that this was, I think this is the reason that this was very soured upon. I think 90% of it was the fact that the streak was broken the year before. I think that Bray was at his hottest. He had a great run the year before. You had a great, very similar character. And I think the other part of it, too, Taker didn't show up whatsoever for any of the promos and vignettes. It was all just like, uh, I'm sorry, he didn't show up in person. It was all promos, vignettes, or like, you know, stage stuff. And I think that really you could have done so much better with the build to this. You could have done so much more had he been there. And they wanted to put like this, this shadow of doubt that he wouldn't show. Right, but they also build it as Bray becoming the new face of fear and him taking the powers of the Undertaker. Plus, Bray had already lost the year prior at Mania to Cena, so it was like, you know, he's white hot at this point in time. The crowd's behind him for the most part. You know, the Firefly thing is really catching on, and you know, Bray comes out in the casket at Fastlane and challenged the Undertaker right away, and then and then all we get is a titantron lit up with wrestlemania with the gong you know that was it that was the only response we got from the undertaker yep it was just so underwhelming and then we get to the match and the match is not good no it's during the daytime which really hurts the aura of the undertaker i mean that's damaging to it one two bray loses three bray barely gets in much of any offense at all four the undertaker doesn't really look great he doesn't he's not all there you know it it seems like yeah he's still alive and kicking but he doesn't seem like the undertaker that that you know, you know that was no he's not at the same pace he's very slow and plodding and just doesn't look healthy and and then bray loses you know so the streak was already over why have bray lose that just buried bray into oblivion at that point well, two major losses back to back at manias really set that you know him on a crash course his, his trajectory was was down after that just straight maybe, down to nothing maybe taker is bit good at buried alive matches just not the way we think <laughs> maybe that's just my theory on that anywho <laughs> um so after that one in a very bizarre kind of twist um taker who we think is only showing up for manias at this point actually shows up later on in 2015 at battleground actually costing brock lesnar his WWE World Heavyweight Championship match against Seth Rollins. Isn't that ironic? Because well, the match we're getting at Mania. Um, to end in DQ. Next night on Raw, Taker explains that, of course, uh, his reasoning is for the revenge for the streak, but also the constant taunting that Paul Heyman's engaged in. So it wasn't so much the fact that Brock broke the streak. He said he knew it was going to end anyway. But the fact that Lesnar's been, or that Heyman's been 
boasting about it ever since the actual night itself. Later that night, after Taker and Lesnar brawl throughout the arena had to be separated, which I remember very distinctly because there's been a lot of memes coming out afterwards of how Taker looked afterwards, they finally penciled in a rematch for SummerSlam where Taker beat Lesnar, and I actually really liked the finish because it was very controversial. Yeah, the bell rang, and then he said the timekeeper went into business for himself, and the Undertaker low blows Lesnar, locks him in Hell's Gate, and then Lesnar flips him off as he passes out. Like it was, it was badass on Lesnar's part to be defiant to the end, but the the way it went down was uh, just disappointing to see the Undertaker have to win in that way. He already had taken Lesnar to Dick Kick City at <laughs> at. Uh, um, the pay-per-view beforehand, you know, so it just a battleground. I, the only thing I did like of this is, is the, the two standout moments, obviously the laughing that came eventually with these two, was that at SummerSlam? Yes, that or was. was that, all right. Yep. So yep. Undertaker, you know, <laughs> Undertaker does the sit up and Lesnar's sitting up and Lesnar looks at Taker and starts, you know, laughing like, uh, you know, this is a joke and Lesnar <laughs> just, couldn't be ready for what the Undertaker did. The Undertaker laughs like a man possessed. It's just truly hilarious. But I love the build after Battleground. The not so much the build, but the moment where they had to pull apart. They had the entire big brawl. You see Lesnar in the ring, Takers in the ring, and they had the entire staff. You know, all the wrestlers had to come out and pull these two apart, and they kept jumping at each other and attacking each other. And Lesnar screams, "I'm gonna kill you!" And Taker says, "You're gonna have to." Oh, it gives me chills to think. I, I do remember this. that, but I think Taker had like a high pitched voice, and he's like, "You're gonna have, you're to. gonna have to." Yeah, <laughs> ah, good stuff. Just, so, so the, the feud with Lobo can... distraction. Undertaker gets his first singles victory over Lesnar. You know, as he passes out, and then mm-hmm. uh, it leads to Hell in a Cell, where they're gonna have another match. This is supposed to be their final meeting, and Lesnar, after a low blow and an F five wins i love that hell in a cell match honestly and th- and this is this it is was probably, brutal i think this is going to be a very unpopular statement but screw it um i actually like this matchup between the two of them in hell in a cell that i did the first one in 2002 yeah i i agree i agree because entirely there was there was a lot more behind it there was a lot more emotion behind it they tore the ring up i don't know if you remember that they actually tore like the padding off of there and they had the exposed beams they just went to town on each other in that match. Yeah, I mean, they they really tore each other apart. So so, so I was fine with let with with Taker losing that. However, he was greeted by the Wyatt family right after. Yep, the Wyatt family comes out and they carry him away from the ring, and then they ambush and capture Kane the next night on Raw. And Wyatt explained that he claimed their souls and stole their powers, and he starts demonstrating the powers on the stage. And then nothing comes of it. Connor, nothing comes of it. They just appear on the November 9th episode of Raw, and they attack the Wyatt family, and it leads to a Survivor Series match. Jake, you have to understand, like I just said, Taker gets involved in things that there's no payoff and nothing leads to it. I know, but but they stole their powers. You had Bray Wyatt on the stage having, I got the lightning. I got the thunder. You know, he's doing all that, and it's coming out of his fingers. And Bray Wyatt, imagine dragons now. He's, he's, yeah, he's got thunder. <laughs> he's got the, you know, he's coming in his hand and throwing it at the audience. It's really weird, but he's like, ooh, it's plasm. Like, it just it, it's, he's got the Undertaker's powers, and it's not explained away. They, they just come back a week later. They set the match for Survivor Series, and the Wyatt family, who is 
you know, obviously Bray, but they have Luke, Eric, and Braun get taken out by Kane and The Undertaker. So they beat Wyatt and Harper officially in the match, but the other two are on the outside to help. So, again, this gets written off. And then this leads into one of the most puzzling moments to me that should have been better explained but never actually came to fruition, which was WrestleMania 32. I was at that one. Yeah, you were there, so you can give us a firsthand perspective. But in one thing that I was very surprised for, Shane McMahon returns. So for the first time since 2009, so it's, you know, 2016, we got seven years. Shane's back, baby, and I was blown away. I did not see him coming. I didn't hear about it, so it was a genuine surprise for me. And he says he wants control of Raw or the company. He's going to make this happen. And Vince says, one match, and it's yours. You have to win, though. And he says, you're going to have to face The Undertaker. So why would The Undertaker fight for Vince? That was never explained. And Vince later said that should The Undertaker lose the match, it would be his final match of WrestleMania. So now The Undertaker's you know, really put into a corner. And I hated that they added that stipulation because Shane should have won here. It would have made so much more sense for Shane to get control of Raw, but then he got control of the the shows anyways so yep. it was pointless in the end and that's what really hurt this entire feud on top of it and then what's in the box yeah i mean we never got that explained either you know vince had something stored away and shane knew what it was he had control of it and he was blackmailing his father so the problem the problem with this <laughs> never got that with, explained either so many fucking mcguffin things to take care of in this i mean good god the problem with this was that they that at this point in time in 2016 there were a ton of injuries so there was a lot of big time players that were not going to be able to make this WrestleMania and therefore there was not really that many big time matches hell your main event for WrestleMania 32 was Triple H defending the WWE Championship against Roman Reigns yeah. um which a lot I of people st- were injured beforehand and weren't making it to Mania it was the year right. of injuries you had no scene I believe Every defending champion from the year before uh, was injured. So that's right. You're, you're right. I remember you said that. And so, so because of that, they needed to have a big time match in order to kind of make WrestleMania feel good. So I think they they're to feel bigger and, and bigger and you know more on the line. So I think that's why they threw so many of these like stipulations on there and had Taker versus Shane. Um, the match itself was okay. But obviously the big spot with Shane diving off the top of the Hell in a Cell was the big one. Yeah, that um, was the highlight. That was pretty much the only noteworthy point in the entire match. Freaking crazy. And we didn't th- we didn't for think For the love of all it. mankind. <laughs> uh, I didn't he- I wasn't I didn't hear the, obviously that commentary until after, you know, months later, but uh good god. Yeah, that- live that must have been heart stopping. That must well, have been Well, we were like there's no way he's climbing up there and then he climbed up there like where there's no way he's falling off and then well, he fell off. So, um, it didn't just fall; he flew. It it was it was an okay match. I mean, it just really solidified of uh, Shane is a badass. But you're right; like it's like okay, the stipulation made no sense and really didn't mean anything other than just Taker coming in and beating the shit out of Shane. Like it really wasn't anything that fantastic. But either way, Taker gets another victory so, under his belt. So we're now at twenty two and one. And then we see a couple of other random appearances here and there. Um, mainly, he shows up for the 900th episode of SmackDown just yep. to boost morale for Survivor Series. He comes back in January of 2017, saying that he's going to be in the Royal Rumble. Also, declaring that he's a free agent. He then appears uh, later on in the month on Raw. 
He confronts Brock Lesnar and Goldberg. They're entangled in a feud right now as well. During the Rumble, The Undertaker entered at number 29. He eliminates Goldberg, and then The Miz, Baron Corbin, Sami Zayn, before being eliminated by the number 30 entrant, Roman Reigns, uh, eliminate The Undertaker. So, This, of course, leads to their match at WrestleMania 33, which, in my opinion, was probably one of the worst WrestleMania matches he's ever had. I mean, what was the one that you said he didn't look good at? Was 31? Yeah, 31. But I think this one was the worst he's ever looked. He looked terrible here. I I mean, it was a no-holds-barred match, but The Undertaker received five spears. And, you know, this is his fourth WrestleMania main event, too. But he did not look good at all. And he looked worse, like you said, than WrestleMania 31. He had no pep in his step. He was very, very slow, plodding, looked winded and, and... you know, I don't want to say like, oh, he's ready to have a stroke, but that—that's how he looked the entire no, time. You're pretty. That's pretty accurate to say that. He looked unaware of what was going on at times. It was scary. Now, the interesting thing about this, obviously, was the fact that not only did Roman Reigns beat Undertaker again, giving Taker his second loss at WrestleMania, but of course the exit. It was the main event, which was very, very odd, and also the fact that Jim Ross was pulled over to do commentary, which made people a lot of like kind of pile on the speculation that Taker was indeed done, and his exit certainly didn't help that either. He actually did something different where as he's putting his coat, his gloves, and his hat on, he actually stopped and decided to pull them off, taking off his gloves, his coat, and his hat, leaving them in the ring, walking away, which he's never done. This to me... Yeah, he even went over and kissed his, his wife and acknowledged some of his family. He goes up the entrance ramp. He does the where he raises his fist and looks back, and then he's lowered into the entrance ramp as the crowd is cheering, thank you, Taker. I was so emotional. I know Joe was. I know you were. I mean, we, this this was the end. It, it truly seemed like that was his send-off, and a nope. proper one Saudi as, money. as far as conclusions go. So uh, he, he showed up for Raw 25 to make this really weird, ominous promo, which <laughs> sounded kind of like a retirement speech, but then again wasn't. I think it was an and, Alzheimer's speech. Yeah. Then... Building up to WrestleMania 34, John Cena continually challenges The Undertaker because he has nothing to do at Mania and says he's done it all, but he hasn't seen and been able to face The Undertaker. So we get no real build at all. The Undertaker keeps getting challenged, but doesn't accept, doesn't answer, doesn't even show up. John shows up as a fan to Mania, sitting in the audience. It was fun to see that whole side of things, but... Uh, John comes down to the ring. Elias interrupts. We think it's the Undertaker. It's not. It's Elias. John makes quick work of the Drifter. Then the gong hits, and the Undertaker and John have an impromptu two-minute and I think forty-second match, something like that. Yep. Very very quick squash. Very underwhelming. Uh, the, the theatricality of it all was cool because you see his hat and coat and hey. gloves in the ring and. Given what we got last year, I'll take this one for sure. <laughs> you know, so I'll take it. It was it was entertaining, but still disappointing. Then and, comes the Saudi trilogy. Yeah. Um, following that, The Undertaker takes on Rusev in a casket match at the Greatest Royal Rumble in Saudi. Which wasn't bad, and honestly. That was actually it was a an okay match. match. No, Rusev, yeah. you know, The Undertaker looked better than he had previously. He looked good at Mania against Cena, though short. He looked better against Rusev, 
And then we head to Australia for the Super Showdown in October. So the 6th of October, The Undertaker faced Triple H in a no-DQ match, billed as the last time ever. Unfortunately, you, it wouldn't be. You can't be put air quotes were, big enough. Yeah, you really can't. can't be overstated or oversold. They're, of course, accompanied by their tag team best friend partners, Kane and Shawn Michaels, respectively. Undertaker lost the match after uh, Michaels interfered. This goes ahead and leads to... Uh, the four men attempting to shake hands, a sign of respect, but The Undertaker and Kane attacked them, and as a result, the duos both reunited their former tag teams, the Brothers of Destruction and Degeneration X. They faced each other at Crown Jewel, where The Undertaker and Kane lost. And, and I know they're not done, because now we've heard that The Undertaker is confirmed for the Saudi show happening on May this year before money in the bank which we'll be going to in hartford so yay but a boom and that is undertaker oh my god wow that's a lot to go through i i know we we covered quite the extensive history <laughs> i just want to go through the top 500 matches of the undertaker really quick <laughs> 500 and, uh, we'll top that up no i have the top 10 here so you know, we know we, we made requests for you guys to watch you know certain moments and matches uh, throughout and obviously but this is the definitive list according to uh you know bleach report polled fans they took uh stars given by reviewers like Meltzer and other people and uh public opinion and they kind of combined it all with an algorithm and determined the top 10 combination of matches and moments of the undertaker's career so these are the things you really should not miss if you want to go back and watch a highlight reel after listening to both parts of the retrospective. So number 10 is the undertaker winning the 2007 Royal rumble. As we said before, even though he's the 30th entrant, it was something that he never achieved in his career. And this win added to that extremely impressive resume for sure. And it came down to Shawn Michaels and the undertaker, which, you know, the undertaker narrowly missed a super kick to eliminate uh, Shawn Michaels. Great, great moment. Uh, number nine is The Undertaker versus Kurt Angle. As you said, you were a huge fan of. This is a No Way Out 2006. Even though Undertaker lost the match, it's one of the greatest matches you agree he's ever been a part of. This should mm -hmm. have been the main event of WrestleMania as opposed to No Way Out. So good. Kurt is an in-ring technician. His abilities are blended so well with Undertaker's that the pace of the match never slowed down, and it felt like we were watching a true WrestleMania classic. This match probably holds the records for most reversals in a match as well. Number eight, Undertaker versus Batista at WrestleMania 23. We spoke in length about that before. Number seven, Undertaker versus Triple H at WrestleMania 27. A lot of manias on here, obviously, but uh, number six is Undertaker versus Edge at WrestleMania 24. And a lot of people believe that this match is possibly the most underrated match in WrestleMania history. The Undertaker proved he was still one of the best in the business, and Edge compiled another argument to why he is the Hall of Famer. So Edge had an answer for everything The Undertaker was trying to deliver, and it appeared the streak was coming to an end. Like I said before, the, you know, Edge reversed every single big move The Undertaker had. Hell's Gate, the Tombstones, the Chokeslam, Old School, everything. So definitely one to see. Number five. Of course, Undertaker versus Mankind, King of the Ring 98. It's the infamous Hell in a Cell match that was probably Mick Foley's greatest career moment. This is one of the most popular matches of all time, and justifiably so. The Undertaker throws Mick Foley off the top of the cell, and then the crazy bastard climbs up top just to get put through the cell once again. Uh, and that still isn't the end of it. Make sure you check that out. 
Number four is The Undertaker versus Kane at WrestleMania 14. Though uh, not the best match, you know, if you're going through a technical aspect, these two larger-than-life figures had the best build for this, you know, <laughs> incredible feud. After Kane made his shocking debut, and he continuously ruined all of Undertaker's matches, and it was only after Kane locked Taker in a coffin and set it on fire that the Undertaker accepted a match against his brother. So, number three is WrestleMania 26, which you said you actually view above 25. Undertaker versus HBK. Number two, surprisingly not WrestleMania related, is Undertaker okay. versus Shawn Michaels again, but in your house, Bad Blood 97. Reason for this, it was the first ever Hell in a Cell match. We talked a lot about this in the part one of the wrestling retrospective, but there were so many nonstop, eye-popping, jaw-dropping moments throughout the match. Plus, Kane, it's his debut. He rips off the cell door and gave Undertaker a heart attack and a tombstone pile driver, which allowed a barely conscious HBK to take the win. Uh, not only, you know, an incredible match, but the debut of a legend. So, and of course, number one, Undertaker versus HBK, WrestleMania 25, arguably the greatest WrestleMania and WWE match of all time. So there's our comprehensive list Ooh. of moments that you should check out for sure and not miss. I'll take a breath now. Yeah, geez, Jake, holy crap. Well, <laughs> and, and and just to clarify, this episode, Jake, we, we just clocked in at over, you ready for this? Three hours and 20 minutes. This is the record breaker. Ooh, record. Part two alone. Fine. Part two Seven alone. hours. <laughs> Part two alone. Good God. I don't think that, I think the only one that could possibly top this, um, which I'm not doing anytime soon because we need to t we need to space these things. Is Hogan? I think Hogan's probably the only other one, or Savage would probably top these, you know, this one. You might be right. There might be a few others that did uh, maybe Shawn Michaels. Hogan. Yeah, Sean might be one. Well, let's not give people and ideas. We want to take some breaks with these. Yeah, things. exactly. <laughs> you think of big stars, but not all of them had so much, you know, in terms of longevity. Oh so. man. But uh, so I apologize if we if we kind of rushed through a lot of things, but for for obvious reasons, not only because of length, but because honestly there was just some stuff that we could just honestly skip. Um, but, yeah, but even the things that, that could have been glossed over, we still covered in in fair amount of detail. So I'm very happy with how this turned out. And please, please, you know, like you said, share this episode, uh, you know, on YouTube when it does release on YouTube, and go ahead and let others know that you know you are listening to the one and only OK Fabe. And if you want to get these early, you know, you can go ahead and also not just listen to this a month ahead of time. But you can go ahead and help suggest who you want to hear be covered in the future. You go to patreon.com slash okfabe. And there as well, like we said, if uh, Connor hits the goal of 50 patrons a month, we'll be doing this twice a month for you guys. So you'll oh, get two God. episodes instead of one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So just so you guys are clear, the next one will be on Shane Helms, The Hurricane. That will be episode number six, I believe we're on now. So that'll be episode six with Shane Helms. Episode seven will be a fan's choice. We'll give you guys a poll, uh, both on my Twitter at OKFabe and, of course, Jake's at Countdown Edits. Make sure you guys go give him a follow as well. Love to hear your thoughts, feedback, everything about the wrestling retrospective. You can hit us up in the comment section if you're listening to this on YouTube, on social media. Again, our Twitter handles are my YouTube channel uh, or in anywhere, in anywhere in between. Um, this has been a treat. I am exhausted. I don't know how much more I can talk about The Undertaker, but Jake, uh, always fun. Any other things you want to wrap up here when it comes to the undertaker no i i you know you go back and you do forget about key moments i'm curious to hear 
besides WrestleMania, obviously, uh, let us know your favorite non-WrestleMania matches hmm. with The Undertaker. I always, you know, really enjoy uh, SummerSlam 99 with Stone Cold. That stands out to me as well. So, I But let us it's... know your non-WrestleMania uh, favorite matches and then also your favorite moments of The Undertaker in the comments. Please let us know. I think his stuff with Edge and Orton for me is a little underrated, but I'd have to... I have to go back and listen to myself for three hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway, guys, I'm Connor, a.k.a. Okay, Fabe. That is Jake DeMarco, a.k.a. Count Edited. We thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of Wrestling Retrospective. Thank you so much for your continued love and support. Take care, and as always, 